get it going. It's time to get up. Jack Rathbone leaves top of the point for Elias Pedersen. Out of the right circle. JT Miller with a one-timer. He scores. Miller down on one knee, rips it off the underside of the top of the net. These guys are here to break it all down. He stopped using the same word. It's disrespectful, it's ridiculous, and it's shameful, you know, to, to keep calling them protesters. Not fucking protesters, they're fucking terrorists. Let's have a little fun and make you a winner. You can't complain not to get kicked in the groin. This is the starting lineup with James Zabolski and Perry Solkowski. Oh my goodness, I slept in. What's going on? We're here. We're good. I don't think anybody says, you know, the great time to start a show would be 6.07, but good work by Greg Ballack back to the station to, uh, to get us going. And here we are. Absolutely. You know, it's the first week back to work after the holiday season, so I think we're not probably the only ones in a bit of a fog. And, uh, man, oh, man, you know, I think part of it is just trying to contain the excitement. Even the technical side is amped up over the Hoaglander hype. Yes, we're all climbing aboard the Hoag train, if you will, Pear. And I'll tell you what, it felt like an ambitious story to begin with. The Vancouver Canucks are giving every opportunity for this young prospect to try to crack this team and give them a shot that, look, there's a glaring hole in the Canucks' top six, and they are trying to present him with that opportunity. And at this point in time, through the first three days on the ice, this kid's making the most of it and has people talking. In fact, I would say that this is the story in camp right now for the Vancouver Canucks. Well, man, it is a hype train. A couple of years ago, a lot of people loved Nikolai Goldobin, too. And and I don't go, oh, my goodness, this is a different player um, completely who we've been waiting to arrive. I would just caution this. And if you look at all the reports and talk to it and listen to Batch and Sat yesterday about the inter-squad game, Hoaglander was apparently the best guy on the ice. And you see the clips, he was. But I'll say this. He was also the only guy on the ice that had been playing professional hockey in the last three months. He should be the best on the ice. He should look like he's the fastest because of where everybody else is. But you could be in great shape and go, I can't play at this level. These guys are still faster than me. And that doesn't appear to be the case. So is it a situation where everything falls into place, where there's a void on the right wing? where there's a short window to show what you could do and he's going to get the greatest opportunity presented to him and he's going to show that he's in better shape and will be an asset and that's how his career is launched and we never see anything as far as the minors, as far as time up in the press box. There is that possibility. I thought, James, it would be so slim. It was a nice story to talk about in the summer, but it is reality whether it finishes and he finished the season here, but Listen, you needed someone to come out of nowhere, and this kid has done exactly that for the first three days. I'll guard you. Three days. Yes, three days. And and you're trying to also gauge, look, I think the other part is you're, you're trying to base a body of work, particularly last night, judging players and from, you know, uh, members of the media and some of our colleagues on a scrimmage. Right, and the first scrimmage, uh, a substantial scrimmage for a lot of players in four or five months. So, I, I hear what you're saying. That being said, this kid's making the most of his opportunity. I, I talked to one member of the Vancouver Canucks last night in the organization, 
and prior to the game, and this individual has a, a major say in terms of what this roster will look like come opening night. And, and I think the initial thought was, look, everybody needs to pump the brakes on Hoaglander. But that being said, you know, one of the takeaways that they have certainly seen is, you know, he Hoaglander's engaged. He's not shy. He wants the puck. They love what they're seeing from him so far. And, you know, he stole the puck from Elias Pettersson last night in the game, had a couple of nice plays, absolutely deep Jake Bertanen out of his jockstrap on one play along the wall. And to see plays like that, I'll tell you what, Pear, it's 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 a potential game-changing move for what the roster could look like come opening night. Because I think the way things are kind of coming down right now, hear me out for a second, up front, you're going to have the lotto line up front with Miller, Pedersen, and Besser. At this point right now, based on the body of work, I think you're looking at Pearson, Horvat, and Hoaglander as your second pairing or your second line, followed by Brandon Sutter centering a line with Jake Vertanen and Tyler Mott, and then you round things out with Roussel, Beagle, and Adam Gaudette with Zach McEwen, I would guess, being your tentative 13th forward. Now, where does everybody sit with your taxi squad? But I would say through the first three days, is it sustainable for Hoaglander? I think right now you're looking at a guy who, for once again, for at, at through the first three days, for the fourth consecutive year, a rookie is kind of the story in camp. And if he is a home run, and by a home run, he doesn't seem out of place playing in the top six. You then have to go back and go, all right, let's ride the roller coaster of emotions as to how Jim Benning handled the summer. And I would step back and go, unbelievably, that's brilliant. You saved money on Markstrom. Now let's assume the goaltending. And I have the utmost confidence that that combination will be fine. And they're going to need to. So your goaltending, you saved the money, and you went there, and you got Holpe and a good deal and a good number. You then, you lose Tanif and the heart and soul, and you bring in Travis Hammond, who's going to be pretty much a carbon copy guy, do the same thing. You, you, don't, you don't pay for stature. Yeah, you're going to have to find out where those extra bodies are, but you don't need those minutes anymore because Nate Schmidt is a massive upgrade. You don't go after Toffoli. And I had said, he's the biggest signing in my. You need Tyler Toffoli. I'm sick of saying they don't have a top six. Well, if you got Hoaglander and he can fit and go, hey, by the way, when Putt Colson comes, that can shuffle up the right side that much more. You, to me, have hit a massive home run for Jim Benning. And looking through the year ahead goes, and then you get some numbers and some cash to deal with. And, and James, and here is the caveat to it all. Maybe you think you're deep enough to say, you know what, we're going to find space. And that space is created by the fact that we realize Louis Erickson's time in this uniform and value is it doesn't mean as much to us as time to develop the kids. I mean, it's possible. I've done it two years in a row that Benning in this organization organization could hit a home run. I don't I still I still think Louis Erickson factors into this roster at least worst case scenario, the taxi squad to start 
Um, I don't see him in Utica this year anyway, but in six months from now, it might be a different story when you get into the final year of his contract. But it's, man, it's exciting. You know, this is the one thing that, you know, hope these young players that have come along over the last few years, whether it's Pedersen, whether it's Besser, whether it's Hughes, you go back even five years ago to a lesser degree to start Bo Horvat. Um, you know, it, it's happening now. Uh, it's happening, and this team has, you know, I got I got a few DMs from from some Canucks fans last night. Just people really excited about what this potential. Yes, there are questions that need to be answered. You know, there is a glaring hole for an incomplete forward group right now, as we just talked about. Um, but man, it's you know, there's optimism. If the goaltending can be what it could potentially be, live up to its potential, you know. That could be a hell of a tandem. You look on the blue line. When was the last time there was this much depth on the blue line for the Vancouver Canucks? Almost 10 years. So, look, we're going to be talking about this all morning. Brian Burke will join us in about 45 minutes from now as he joins us every Thursday morning here on Sportsnet 650. Looking forward to that. Ian McIntyre will uh, visit us at 8 o'clock on your Canucks commute here on Sportsnet 650. We'll continue our visit across Canada through the Gord Downey Division. Today it's Sean Reynolds in Winnipeg. The Jets have certainly uh, been an interesting uh, team through the last few weeks and Patrick Lines in camp uh, and Todd Furman from the Bet the Board podcast looking ahead to the NFL playoffs which kick off on Saturday so everything is happening pair listen it's it's a great time it's a great time for sports to go and and I just want to finish this thought with Hoagland and we don't have it but you know you talk about it you talked about it and James we played it and you weren't working for the original interview but boy, when when a teammate of his, Cody Curran, is with Anaheim now, a teammate in Sweden for two years came on, and without even the conversation, he says, "Hey, just a second, can I tell you about how good this this Hoaglander is?" Uh, and, and that's the great reason to get excited. Hey, this we've got two days of of more hype. Canucks are off today. We got for the first time ever three wild card games on Saturday and Sunday. Then we've got a national football championship in the States. Then we get a day to breathe on Tuesday and then bring it on for 56 crazy games for the Vancouver Canucks. It's going to be an awful lot of fun in the home of the Canucks right here. Sports at 650. Yeah, you got two days to visit with your family, and then you know, then you go back to being a shut-in and just watching everything sports-wise. Todd Furman from the Bet the Board podcast. Happy New Year, sir. Thank you. Same to you, gentlemen. And I would also be remiss. I just want to make sure everyone saw what unfolded Tuesday night in Edmonton with the red, white, and blue finishing on top with a gold medal against the previous unbeaten Canadian World Junior side. Uh, you know, it's funny. For a moment, I actually woke up yesterday thinking, man, was that just Americans celebrating that gold medal win? And then I realized, oh, no, it's it's a little more intense than that the last time <laughs> I wish that was the case, but I have to think a lot of the people responsible for yesterday's actions probably have never been in attendance for a hockey game and couldn't name you <laughs> one player that participated Tuesday night in Spencer Knight's tremendous outperformance. <laughs> Uh, against what was a great Canadian side with obviously 20 first-round draft picks on the roster. It it was uh, it was good hockey, and deservedly so. I mean, we said as much yesterday, Todd, going, if it's a seven-game series, I'll take our nation. But you weren't beating those guys four in a row. They were a talented team that played a great game. Uh, 100%. Listen, and I, I won't disagree with that at all, Perry. When you look at the way that tournament played out, and I'm sure you guys watched it closer uh, than I did, I think one of the things and the questions that we all had going into the final, how would Canada respond to a little bit of adversity? They'd been so good, so dominant, not surrendering a single goal at even strength. 
when they ultimately got popped in the mouth early on by Team USA, you could see some of that frustration with the stick slamming and everything else. But I'm pretty sure even if Wayne Gretzky was out there in his prime, they weren't putting a puck past Spencer Knight. Strong take. Strong take. All right. Uh, okay. So, all right. We're trying to poop. We're trying. We're not here to talk about the past here, Furman. We want to look ahead. Um, okay. Let's let's go ahead to the weekend. Uh, give me from a future standpoint. Super Bowl contenders. I, I think it's fair to say we all know that the Chiefs are kind of the incumbent and they are the team to beat. But who's number two right now? Where's the money going? Well, I think the Green Bay Packers, and it's not going out on a limb saying that given the tremendous season we've seen from Aaron Rodgers and what he's meant to this Packers side. Now, Green Bay, when you look up and down their roster, clearly not as talented as maybe even the New Orleans Saints uh, in the NFC and not on the same level as the Kansas City Chiefs as far as their skill position talent is concerned. But Rodgers is playing at a different level, and he makes them an extremely difficult out knowing that the road to the NFC crown will go through Lambeau. Uh, but when you're looking for some of those secondary contenders, I know Buffalo has garnered a lot of respect. Let's see if they can finally win their first playoff game in that franchise uh, in more than 25 years. We'll see if they can get over that hurdle. When you look in the NFC, I think teams like the Seahawks and the Saints, they can't be ignored. Uh, and then, of course, uh, a team that we all want to see perform on a big stage, a franchise that hasn't experienced a lot of prosperity but has one of the greatest of all time under center. What will Tampa look like if they're able to get through Washington, uh, are they a team under Brady's leadership that can go on the road, win multiple playoff games, and have a chance to define NFL history being the first team to ever play a Super Bowl in their own building? And that, that was one of the games I was reading an article yesterday, Todd. Um, Todd Furman joining us as he does every Thursday morning, Bet the Bod podcast, Bet the, uh, uh, bet the podcast, uh, Bet the Book. Gosh, that's who you are. Furman, you want to take this? Perry, Perry, it's Bet the Board podcast. Hey, if I do get into bodybuilding and I show topless, topless pictures of myself, then we can go Bet the Bod potty at part <laughs> podcast and we'll see what kind of sponsorship opportunities might be available. Start, and apparently they haven't left my mouth. Ask me the, the one game that the book said I'm worried about was the Washington football team. And, and I have that same feeling simply because, you know, Chase Young leaves the field and I want you, Tom Brady. And when Brady doesn't win big games, it's because he's got people in his face. Is that the one that you would look at this weekend and go, eh, maybe? Well, I think what's interesting, and when you talk about the sports books and their rooting interest, it's always about time slot, and it's always about marquee names on a roster. Indianapolis-Buffalo will be a big game for them where they'd love the Colts to win outright, but being the early game on Saturday, the betting handle there won't be anywhere close to what you're going to see Saturday night, especially if the favorites win and hold serve in the form of Buffalo and Seattle, and nobody wants a part of a Washington team that finished the season with a losing record. We all watched the game against the Philadelphia Eagles. And I don't think any of us believe that if Philadelphia was out there playing to win, that Washington would be the team representing the NFC East instead of the New York football giants. Uh, but full disclosure here, I made the game eight. So I don't see a whole lot of wiggle room or opportunity either way. That eight does mean that I thought Alex Smith was 100%, which we know isn't the case. So let's see if Tampa is able to go out there and banish the notion uh, of an upset right off the bat. Interestingly enough, if we go back to the year 2000 and look at teams that have finished 500 or worse during the regular season, those teams are 7-0 against the spread and 6-1 and straight up in the playoffs. I just can't get over some of the matchup disadvantages that Washington's going to be faced with here. Uh, and ultimately, that's why I would lean towards the Bucks winning the game but won't tangle from a point spread perspective. Furman, there's two really good teams that are going home this weekend. And normally, you know, how many times in years past you look at Wild Card Weekend and there's just blowouts. Uh, but but the two games that, to me, I look at the marquee games on the sked, 
I think Seattle and the Rams, and then on Sunday, I mean, it's unfortunate that, you know, one of these two good teams are going home and the Titans and the Ravens. But let's start with the Seahawks and the Rams. How do you see this one playing out as these two collide for the third time this season? And the number continues to drop for Seattle here as they're now three-and-a-half-point favorites. I think a lot of that reason is amid speculation that Jared Goff will ultimately be out there under center. Now, how effective Goff looks as a starting quarterback, uh, you know, only two weeks removed from thumb surgery remains anybody's best guess. But you're spot on, James. Talking about where this number opened as high as five, trending closer to that key number of three, more or less three and a half out there. And the first two meetings, we saw defense really dominate the day. 23-16 Rams victory the first time around, and Seattle returned the favor at home 20-9. My big concern with the Rams right now, regardless of who starts a quarterback, uh, is their ineptitude in the red zone over the last couple of games. Cam Akers uh, fumbling last week could have been very costly against Arizona. They just don't look to feel comfortable or confident with their play calling inside the 10-yard line, and that's part of the reason we've seen the Rams now go back-to-back games without scoring a red zone touchdown. Fortunately for them, they can lead on arguably the league's most elite defense, and Brandon Staley's done an excellent job. But I just think Seattle has too much, and Russell Wilson has underperformed down the stretch. Uh, I really like what the Seahawks have done defensively. Have they gotten healthier? Now, I would like to see a healthy Jamal Adams out there, and I think it'll be very interesting to see if he's good to go on Saturday dealing with the shoulder injury suffered last Sunday. I don't know if there's a dark horse once you're in the playoffs. But is it fair if I categorize the Baltimore Ravens as that? I think they're a bit of a dark horse. Uh, what's interesting when you look at their odds to win the Super Bowl, uh, they were 30-1 to 1 before that Monday night game against the Cleveland Browns, and that price has been crashing since. The biggest question I have about the Ravens, Perry, is not only Lamar Jackson's two playoff failures, you can kind of ignore those a little bit, but who have the Ravens beaten down the stretch to show that, hey, look, they're finally going to be able to step up in class? The Ravens have done one thing exceptionally well over the last couple seasons, and that's played bully ball. When you can't stop the run or they can be more physical at the point of contact, that's going to bode well for what Baltimore is able to do. Let's see if they can get this Titans monkey off their back, a team that's beaten them twice. And quite frankly, Baltimore hasn't had an answer for Derrick Henry uh, in the last two meetings either. If the Ravens were to win, though, on Sunday in the early time slot, I think this team could play with a lot of confidence and poses a very difficult out, knowing how good they are in the secondary. But an interesting team for sure. I'm just not sure we can call them a dark horse at 6.5-1 to one to win the AFC and 12-1 to one to take home the whole thing. Um, humor me on this. As a long-suffering Bears fan, the Saints are almost 10-point favorites here, 9.5-point favorites against Chicago. I think a lot of people forget that two months ago, this game went to overtime when they went head-to-head. Now, it was in Chicago. It was outside. But should we factor that in at all, knowing that this one went to overtime going into this weekend between the Saints and Bears? Well, I think there's a couple of things that are a little bit different now as we look at the wild card round versus when they did battle back in week eight. Obviously, the most notable, Mitchell Trubisky getting the start instead of Nick Foles, which makes the Bears offense that much more dynamic. When you look at how they perform at Trubisky, they've averaged more than 28 points per game and they've gone seven and two to the over compared to just 16 and a half points per game going one and six to the over uh, with Nick Foles out there. The problem, though, James, is what we saw last weekend on full display against Green Bay. They were able to move the ball between the 20s, but five trips into the red zone, they scored just one touchdown. And when you look at this Bears team so far this season, they've only scored touchdowns on 56% of their red zone opportunities, 22nd in the NFL. The other big concern is defensively. We saw this secondary really perform at a high level, but since week 10, they've nearly fallen off a cliff. 
Uh, they've gone from third in the league in pass defense efficiency to 28th. And the other injury that we can't ignore, you lose a player like Roquan Smith that controls the middle. And we don't know if he's officially out yet with the dislocated elbow. Uh, I think that's a massive hole. We're also going to want to keep tabs on Darnell Mooney. Hopefully he's good to go. Tremendous season for the Bears to bounce back after a six-game losing streak, uh, but I think we're going to see the Saints begin to click on all cylinders, and I'd actually lean towards laying the lumber with New Orleans here. Oh, there you go. Thanks for that. I hope hey, and optimism be, be, in twenty. Before we let you go in the strange world we are, I'm on the CBS website as we're talking. That's a great – is that a Martin Brodeur picture you have in your office? You know what? It's actually – and this is going to kill me as a Rangers fan. Uh, my buddy, who is an artist – painted a picture and that's Ron Hextall there and in the other portion of the picture you see a Canadiens jersey so uh, that's Ron Hextall it's the only piece of Flyers memorabilia paraphernalia I own in this Rangers household and what you can't see pair and I may have to send to you I do have the NHL standing boards up against the different wall and I have a shinny stick of Mike Richter my favorite player growing up a New York Rangers fan oh there, there, there's a one way to win the audience over here in Vancouver Way to go. <laughs> hey, I, I do what I can, boys. And you know what the exciting part is? When I'm on this time next week, not only do we have NHL playoffs, or NHL playoffs, I'm jumping the gun there, NFL playoffs to discuss, we'll be able to talk about the first five games we saw unfold the night before. I think you guys are excited as I am to get hockey back out there in the sprint. Uh, that'll be this 50-plus game schedule we're going to see in 2021. He is Todd Furman from the Bet the Board Thanks, podcast, Al. and if he keeps on doing crunches, we might be calling it the Bet the Bod podcast, too. Well. <laughs> there, hey, Barry, a, you could be there, the first guest. As long as you fit the body comp that. percentages that we demand from our guests, we'll bring you on there first, and you can show us your flex. Thanks, Todd. Be good, boys. There he is, Todd Furman from the Bet the Board podcast here on Sportsnet 650. All right, 28 minutes against 6, uh, 6 o'clock. Brian Burke will join us in 30 minutes from now. Seaball uh, says just around the corner, the NBA is open to expansion, they're saying. Is it time for the Vancouver wrong to be right? And we'll dive into that next here on Sportsnet 650. Your Vancouver Canucks play here. To every game starting January 13th on Sportsnet 650, the official home of the Canucks. Time now for Sportsnet 650 traffic from the News 1130 Air Patrol. Starting our Thursday commute with a crash in Surrey northbound on 152 at 84th. North and westbound are blocked. You could try 88th or 144th as an alternate route. There's construction northbound on Highway 15 before Highway 10 where it's down to one lane. Also going to find slowdowns on Wally Boulevard north of Fraser Highway and on Fraser Highway west of Wally Boulevard where both those are down to single lane traffic. Feeling bent out of shape, Crossing Collision's 3D laser system returns your car frame to factory specs and restores your peace of mind. Craftsman Collision Air Miles and Bigger Smiles. In- Welcome to the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. 634. Canucks uh, scrimmage or inter-squad game last night and the talk of the town uh, once the final horn sounded was Niels Hoaglander continuing to push for a roster spot for this 2021 squad for the Vancouver Canucks. And uh, he did not disappoint those uh, observing inside Rogers Arena last night. Nice to have some hockey back last night, Pear. Great to have some hockey back. Hoaglander taking advantage of the fact he's been playing pro hockey for the last three months. Should be one of the better players on the ice if he just goes, no, I know how to play this game. And his attitude has been uh, fantastic. James, you used a word earlier, which I think maybe it, it's it's a credit to him, maybe a detriment to others. He's been engaged is what a member of the Canucks coaching staff was saying. And so 
what's the fault of other guys on the right side? Vertanen, eh, not always engaged. Louis, it seems like, not really engaged so far. It's a simple word, but the care factor's got to be high. And apparently, Hoaglander has that throw in the skill. Maybe there actually is something here. But it's three days, everybody. <laughs> Pump the brakes, right? Uh, here's what Antoine Roussel had to say about uh, the young Swedish sensation that has captivated Canucks training camp so far through the first three days. This was on the Scott Rintoul show yesterday and prior to the scrimmage. But here's what Roussel had to say about the young Niels Hoaglander. Hoaglander, if I had a pull, I would draft him right away. <laughs> what is it about him that makes you say that? Well, it's crafty. Like, you know, like he's that in the trend of players that come into the league now that, sh- first off, are really fast, can create uh, with not so much space, good scoring chances, uh, with the kind of moves they make. Um, and, I mean, he's, that's that's the kind of attribute I, can, I saw right away. And... Uh, He's, I think he's going to be uh, really noticeable right away, and he's going to be uh, really good right away also. So there's Antoine Roussel on the Scott Ritual show uh, yesterday here on Sportsnet 650. Pair, I, I do wonder this. Like, right now, he's pushing hard. Uh, Hoaglander's pushing hard, and, and we'll see how things kind of play out here over the next four or five days. But how does it – my one concern with Hoaglander trying to crack this spot is in years past – the trend has been for matching the Horvat line with Pearson to try to, you know, trying to play somewhat of a shutdown or power on power sort of matchup in games against some of the other heavyweight sort of lines for the opposition. Now we've started to see at times matching up the Pedersen, the lotto line going power on power. And is this a change of philosophy for, for Travis green here going forward? Where does he feel comfortable enough to put a young player out there alongside Horvat and Pearson when you think about where Horvat's had to match up with over the last couple of seasons. Really good teams and really good coaches. Uh, One of the discussions that were going on with with the Cleveland game against Pittsburgh and the fact that the Cleveland head coach uh, Kevin Stefanski has COVID and he can't be at the game. And people saying, you know what? Good teams, if they believe in themselves, they want them to coach. Mike Tomlin go, I hope he coaches. We want to beat them at their best. I think good teams go, here's what we have. You adjust to us. And, yeah, normally we're going shut down, shut down. But what if you go, hey, we've got really two really good lines that can score and can be responsible defensively. We asked that of Eddie Jovanovsky. If you had a whole glender there, do you offset it by having what you would term your shutdown defenseman? Hey, if this kid is engaged, you can't learn the NHL defensive game that quick. But if if you're scoring, you're not going to worry about him. You know, you didn't hear him talk about Queen Hughes going, he's got to really work on his defensive responsibilities. All Travis Green said last year is, yeah, we just said let him go. And I wonder if they might be in that same position to Hoaglander. Here's what you need to do, but don't take away from what you can do creativity because you're never going to hear it from a coach. But go back to what all the pros that we have on this show tell us, James. You can't fool the players. So for Anton Roussel to get asked that question and then to go so far and go, man, I would draft him, you can't fool the players. So, you know, amongst them, quietly, they're just saying, I don't know if this kid's a flash in the pan. I think he can join us right now. So why not say you adjust to us because we got two lines that are going to score. Let's get into today's edition of Seaball Says. 
He may not be right, but he says it with confidence anyway. But I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Seaball says on Sportsnet 650. A report kicked up in the NBA this week suggesting the association is exploring expansion to help offset financial losses. Now that's one way to get some cash and I thought the same thing that so many of you are thinking as I say this right now. Hey, Vancouver, look over here. Sign me up. Now the asking price? One billion, gajillion, fifillion, million, yes. Actually, it's $2.5 billion is what the NBA is looking for, and that's a titanic jump from the $125 million spent by both Vancouver and Toronto for expansion teams in 1994. Seattle and Vegas are said to be ready to submit offers, but for starving basketball fans out here longing for a return to Vancouver nearly 20 years since the Grizzlies left town, man, this idea suddenly gives some of us hope. BC's South Coast once proved it was an NBA town. Despite the hurdles and mismanagement before effectively having the franchise taken from us, never really given a chance to grow, and Former League Commissioner David Stern had expressed regret at how things were handled here in the 604, telling the Canadian press about two years before his sudden passing, quote, I consider Vancouver to be one of our failures. The biggest question out there is, could somebody actually afford a team here in Vancouver? It is a massive hurdle because of the impact COVID-19 has had on some people with very deep pockets, specifically Canucks owner Francesco Aquilini, who we asked on this very show back in October 2018 whether he's interested in the NBA. Yeah, you know, there's been some discussions on that. I mean, it's obvious because we have a building, it's a plug-and-play, we still even have the hoops. We still have the floor, everything's there, the locker room, everything's there. We've discussed it, and and uh, and so, uh, yeah, no, I, th- I think, you know, right now the entry, co- entry cost is, like, prohibitive because it's up to $2 billion now. So now. From, from an expansion or for to purchase? Both. Yeah. I think now a team is $2 billion. Yeah. I mean, you know, five years ago it was, like, uh, $300 million. Million, That's so. not pocket change for you, sir? Pocket <laughs> change, yeah. <laughs> the sofa. My well, name was Steve Ballmer. <laughs> well, that's certainly fair on that. Now, with staff layoffs and even the hesitation to get Travis Green's contract done, it feels like that's not happening with the Aquilinis. But there are others in town that might. According to Forbes, Chip Wilson, Mr. Lululemon, is worth $6 billion dollars. And the beloved Jim Pattison is said to be worth roughly the same amount. But I'm going to guess Mr. Lulu probably seems more likely if you're asking me to handicap this. Look, the Canadian dollar doesn't exactly help in this fight either. But then again, that the Grizzlies were born in the middle of a recession in the 1990s. Look, I'm a firm believer within the next couple of generations here in this country, basketball could very well be more popular than hockey. The sport appeals to a more diverse community, and Vancouver definitely offers that similarly to the home of Canada's only NBA team, the Toronto Raptors. Would it work today in Vancouver? Absolutely. Now, just got to find somebody with $2.5 billion, which translates to well over $3 Canadian. (laughs) 
The NBA could work here. I know it. If just given the proper chance this time. Never mind finding big country. The biggest issue is finding someone with the pockets deep enough. And that's this morning's Seaball says. When the borders were open, the last time I was in Seattle, I bought a T-shirt. It's a symbol of the Sonics. And on the front of the T-shirt, it says, we got next. They'll go there first. And we had Stu Jackson on during the summertime, the man who was the GM of the Grizzlies. And at that point, James, if you remember, he thought the next place that the NBA will be going is they will go to Mexico and Mexico City because of the fan base and because of the revenue possibilities there. Love your passion. Love to see it. Not happening. Plug and play. Uh, Arthur Griffiths has often said that there are quiet conversations he continues to have with people that are interested. It's just a question of whether or not there's somebody willing to foot the bill at $2.5 billion. And the owners of that plug-and-play building that we've talked about, Pear, and I think that's a hard pass at this point in time, and at least for the foreseeable future. 644, Brian Burt joins us at the top of the clock. And in a moment, no BS, just straight-up PS here on Sportsnet 650. He always tries to be ahead of the game. Harry was in front. Finding stories that matter, sort of. We call BS. You want BS. I want the truth. It's not BS, just P.S. with Perry Solkowski. 649, let's give you some facts and figures, everybody. No BS, just P.S. You have to understand as a pro athlete, as a hockey player, you need fuel in the belly. You need to keep the fires burning. You need to eat, eat, eat. And we now know that has not been easy for Adam Gaudet for a long time. It's just a overgrowth of candida in my stomach that um that that you know makes me feel nauseous sick not hungry and uh you know this this i've been like this since high school and i you know i just thought i was always a kid who, who never really liked to eat would never get hungry but you know it turns out i had something wrong with me and um you know it's just such a relief that we figured it out and you know my whole my whole world's changed for, for the better james that's got it yesterday talking and and revealing that he's had this situation that hasn't really been able to feed up, to put in the calories, to get bigger and, and fill out his frame. That's going to be a big game changer for him. You know, and, and one of the side effects with this uh, is sudden uh, kicking your bride in the head on their wedding night. Well, because he put on more weight around the stomach, right? So that's okay. We're learning a lot more about Adam Gaudet in the last three months, aren't we? Hey, P.S., today is the anniversary of an NHL team record that may never be broken. The Flyers on their way to history. Clark scored his sixth goal of the season and then set a fine pick as Bill Barber tallied on the power play and the Flyers recorded their 29th consecutive game without a defeat. Flyers went on to win 35, play 35 games to start the season without getting beat in the 1979-80 season. Can you imagine? 35. They also had a nine-game win streak after that, a 10-game win streak after that. Still didn't win the Stanley Cup, so it's what you do at the end that matters. They lost to the Islanders, right? Or that was the was start the of the Islanders, Islanders run, right? You know, and, and yep. it's funny to think that the Broad Street Bullies are kind of the dynasty that the NHL wants you to forget about based on their antics, right? But who yeah. they ultimately fell to is... Are the New York Islanders the most underappreciated dynasty 
in the history of hockey. Like, I hated the Islanders as a kid. They were the bad guys because I was a Gretzky guy as a kid. But the talent, the fact that they were sandwiched between that Montreal dynasty in the 70s and arguably the most dynamic dynasty ever in the Oilers of the 80s, I feel like the Islanders kind of get forgotten, even you know, even though they were the ones that slayed the most incredible run in the history of a regular season, what the Flyers did that year. You don't, you know, you can't use the word dynasty and, and underappreciated in my view, but when you have those three dynasties from the 70s to now, they're number three, always number three. Hey, speaking of dynasties, I don't like the matchup for your Bears against the Saints this weekend. Neither did But Todd. when I heard this, it changed my mind when I heard this. I brought up the idea of... of of testing 50,000 people and quarantining them in a hotel and having like the most safest Superdome in the known to man scientifically bust them. They've tested every day and, and, uh, you've got a COVID free facility. And I think, uh, I think that's possible. I don't know if it's taken off or not. There's uh saints coach, Shane, Sean Payton. So rather than game planning, he's thinking, 50,000 on a bus, put them in hotels, and they could have 50,000 at the game. Yeah, there might be some cracks in the armor in the Saints game planning. Come on, Sean. What are you thinking? I think he stopped short of uh, injecting everybody with bleach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was right. Yeah, I, I, you know, maybe he wasn't game planning yesterday. He was in Washington. Anyways, P.S., one final thing. Listen, I got a lot of time for good creative content. MLS has a new team that is ready to go. They will be playing in Texas, in Austin. Specifically, uh, Texas University is there. Famous resident, unique car salesman, Matthew McConaughey. Take a listen to what the ad they put up. You can stay on the ground. Or you can get back in the car. Keep driving forward. Because you never know what's up ahead. Maybe someplace... That is their newest player, Matt Beasley. They put him in a car, said, dress up, drive fancy, and here's what you're going to say. This is how we're going to promote the team. Well done, Austin FC. No BS, just BS, everybody. 6.54 here on this Thursday morning. He's Perry. I'm James. Brian Burke joins the conversation next. We're less than a week away from the start of the regular season right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. (laughs) Let's get it going. It's time to get up. Jack Rathbone leaves top of the point for Elias Pedersen. Out of the right circle. JT Miller with a one-timer. He scores. Miller down on one knee. Rips it off the underside of the top of the net. These guys are here to break it all down. He stopped using the same word. It's disrespectful. It's ridiculous. And it's shameful, you know, to, to keep calling them protesters. Not fucking protesters. They're fucking terrorists. Let's have a little fun and make you a winner. Can't complain now if you get kicked in the groin. This is the starting lineup with James Zabolski and Perry Solkowski. Seven o'clock, hour number two here on this Thursday morning as everybody climbs aboard the home train. 
James Sabalski, Perry Solkowski, Brian Burke will join us here momentarily. And a reminder that this hour, the starting lineup is a presentation of Dunbar Lumber, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner, Arbuter Street in Vancouver, or check them out online at DunbarLumber.com. Uh, job still up for grabs, pair, and the story out of last night's scrimmage on the ice at Rogers Arena that you could catch right here exclusively on Sportsnet 650. Niles Hoaglander, Niels Hoaglander, whoever he is. He is pushing hard for a spot right now and looked uh, pretty impressive in the eyes of many observers last night at the rink. Uh, the list of impressive-looking hockey players um, that have played in the NHL during preseason games, during training camps, is very long. I think Berkey was the GM when we had the Steve Korea, the next Paul Korea love affair. I think he scored a goal in hockey and Kenny thought, well, why not? The bloodlines are good. Now, the difference is, James, we've had this love affair with the Brock Besser, with the Pedersen and a Hughes, and the love affair seems to be a real Hollywood story. I don't know. Do, do you have four stories? Quite possibly. I would caution that he should have been better than most because he's been playing pro hockey, and he mentioned in that clip that Wallsey played. But when the players are talking about him like that, and Anton Roussel is saying he's so good, I would take him. Maybe. Maybe again, Jim Benning and what he saw and his history as being a bird dog and being a scout, they got another one. And if they did, look up. The window that we thought was going to open, if he can be a legitimate top six forward in the NHL, and I just don't know if that's possible. It would be unbelievable because Jim Benning then played all his cards the right way in the offseason if he can fill that hole with the guy he drafted. Brian Burke joining us each and every Thursday morning here on Sportsnet 650 here on the starting lineup. And uh, Burke joins us uh, yet again here uh, for the first time in the new year. Happy New Year, sir. Happy New Year, guys. Hockey, is man, it's 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 nice. I, I heard you last week on Hockey Central, and just to kind of hear the that little gleam in your voice, it, it's just nice to be talking guys battling for roster spots as opposed to, uh, you know, the impact of COVID-19 here on games right now. It's uh, It's a fun time again. Well, for sure. I mean, this is what we do. It's it's fantastic. Um, I'm excited. I can't wait. Berkey, what kind of discussion takes place between Jim Benning and Travis Green when you're dealing with a, a rookie player who has to play in the top six like Niels Hoaglander does, and you have such a short runway to make a decision? Well, to me, it all comes down to what gives your team the best chance to win over the course of the whole season, 56 games. And if you think this kid who might scuffle a little bit early, if you think by the 10th game, 15th game, he's going to be a solid regular contributor, that's a different discussion than, you know, like a regular season where you say, well, we can, we can nurse him, we can bring him along slowly. I think with the taxi squad, you could spot this guy a little bit if you really want to use him. But the discussion never changes on a team, which is, okay, if we've got realistic play, playoff hopes, which Vancouver does, um, then we've got to put the lineup on the ice every night that gives us the best chance to get two points. But they're going to have injuries. They're going to have COVID-19 outbreaks, probably. I hope not. Uh, and they're going to be able to work the taxi squad guys in. So I think you're going to see more players play this year than any prior year in terms of the number of players on each team that compete. 
Uh, it's our first opportunity to catch up with you this year, and over the last four days, uh, another big uh, or significant transaction for the Canucks was the uh, the acquisition of uh, Travis Hamonic, who uh, arrives on a uh, PTO. Uh, I mean, I'm assuming the fact that he's got a quarantine for a week and he'd only be here for two days before the season starts that he'll factor into the roster. But do you like the pickup here with Hamonic and the Canucks? Well, I had him in Calgary, and yeah. a couple things. First off, he's an elite penalty killer. Uh, he's an excellent shot blocker. I mean, I think he would go a, a long way toward filling the void that Chris Tanev's going to leave because I think that is a void. Um, he's a quality, quality guy. He will fight. Um, wonderful teammate. So, yeah, I like to pick up a lot. Brian Burke, a presentation of Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and healing wholesalers, proud family-owned BC company, helping local business since 1892. Burke, with that being said, you know how this uh, fan base is. And when you go from day one of free agency to the patients that they don't have to the Travis Hamannick signing to fill the TANF void, possibly Holglander helping where Toffoli was and what they did on the, on the, in the goal and saving the money on Markstrom, you know, do you look at Jim Benning's offseason work now that it's in the hand of Travis Green and go, hey, you didn't take a step backwards like a lot of people thought maybe he did with the moves that he made? Well, keep in mind, I used this analogy the other day. This is like uh, an Olympic swimming race. So you look at yourself and you say, okay, we got better. And I'm swimming my personal best right now. This is the best time I'm ever going to swim in the 100. But the guy beside you is ahead of you, and the guy beside you is ahead of you. The problem is it's not just what you do with your team. It's what the other teams do. These teams are really selfish. They try to get better, and they try to beat you when they play you. And so to me, that's the issue here is not, I don't think they took a step backward, but did other teams around them take a bigger step forward? And so given the salary cap realities that the Canucks face, I'm not sure Jim Benning could have done much better than he did. So if I'm, I'm withholding a grade on the, the off season for the Canucks, cause I want to see how they play, but I do not think I haven't sat there and said, geez, why didn't Jim Benning sign that guy? Or why didn't he add that guy? Uh, I think bringing in Schultz will help. Um, or Schmidt, sorry. Yeah, Schmidt, yeah. <laughs> Schmidt, Nate Schmidt. Um, I, I, I think he did all he could do, and they drafted really well. You all saw Pod Colson. He's going to play right away. I mean, he can't right away, but when his contract is up. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm not sure you could you can really point and say, why didn't the Canucks do this? As when you look at when you look at the Canucks and and every team across the Canadian division here, you know I think the one thing that we all kind of agree on and Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick kind of dove into it on their Thirty One Thoughts podcast discussing that every team's kind of got you know that glaring question or the that that hole you know they're they're all good but there's all there's holes in each team across the country. What stands out for you for Vancouver? Like what's your biggest question mark when you look at the Canucks? Well, I think one is how, what's the defense going to look like without uh, without Tanev. Um, I really think he's an underappreciated asset. I think he's a really good player. That's number one. But the biggest thing, I, I think if you polled 100 hockey GMs and assistant GMs, they'd say after the, the, the big group, after the top group of guys, where's the scoring going to come from? And if that's the case, can you can, can you put that on a rookie? I mean, is that where their hope would be, that your rookie jumps into the top six? Hey, it's happened. 
you know, it's happened. So, I mean, it's not, you know, you look at uh, the guys that have, like, look at Kubelik. He, he jumped in and, and, and was fantastic. Yeah. So it's happened. Uh, it's not, it's not like Jim Benning's going to church and lighting a candle and praying that this might work. It's happened. And this kid's an exceptional hockey player. So it might work. So my, I, I've said this on like three or four shows the last few weeks. We have to wait and see here. Like a lot of seasons, you can say, okay, this is what the Canucks should accomplish. Here's their lineup. Here's what's going to happen. There was no COVID. There were no taxi squads. It's all going to be very different. I think there's going to be a lot more physical play as well. And I'm not sure that the Canucks lineup is, is prepared for that yet. But I think Jim Benning can adjust to that. The easiest thing to fix on your team is the grit level. That's the easiest thing. The skill level is the hardest to fit, to improve. And Jim Benning has put together a really gifted group of top forwards, and you got one of the best young defensemen in the league. I think the goaltending will be okay. Even if Thatcher Demko can't do what he did in the playoffs, if he's 80% of that, that's still pretty good. Yeah, no, I, I think that's cer- I think that certainly works. And, I mean, this blue line is probably as deep as it's been. I mean, if Hamannick proves to be, you know, obviously it's been almost a year since he's played, but I think on paper everybody likes the move. But I, I, I just wonder – I mean, that's as deep a blue line I think we've seen in Vancouver in probably close to 10 years, Brian. And th- I mean, that's got to be yeah. a significant upgrade here for this team overall. Yeah, well, if you had Hammond again, I think it fills that void. Yeah. Certainly. So, yeah, I think it's a different look with Hammond again, assuming they're going to sign him, and it sounds like they're going to. And, and I think fans are going to like him. He plays really hard. As I say, he's an elite penalty killer. He's a great teammate, very religious guy. Um, I think people will like him a lot. You're going to be shocked when I tell you this, that uh, Louis Erickson's been in the conversation here in the last three days with some speculating that, um, you know, and, and I just thought you're going to need the, you know, the Swiss army knife that is Louis Erickson on a taxi squad. But with the borders being as they are with being assigned to Utica and not being able to be called back right away because of quarantine, that if that was indeed uh, an option that the Canucks considered, it might force the hand on Louie, and maybe Louie even knows that could be the case. Crazy speculation, or do you think there could be a semblance of truth to that? Uh, that I don't know. Uh, to me, look, Louie Erickson's a good hockey player. He's overpaid, and that's never the player's fault. Like, that's what I used to say to the media. If a guy's overpaid, that's my fault. But Canadian fans really hate overpaid players. They turn on overpaid players. uh, Very different in the U.S. where they seem to be more accustomed to it. But in Canada, players who are paid a high salary and don't live up to that salary, fans turn on them. So let's focus on Louis Erickson. He can play pretty well anywhere on a hockey team, pretty well anywhere forward position. He can play in any situation on a hockey team. He can kill penalties. He can be on the power play. He's a good hockey player. He's a wonderful young man. He's a great teammate. So he's overpaid. That's not his fault. That's always our fault. That's always management's fault. So to me, I think I read earlier in the week they were talking about playing him on the second line. I think he can play on the second line. And so to me, I don't think Louis Erickson is a headache when Jim Benning goes to bed. The salary's the headache, not the player. And again, that's never the player's fault. Brian Burke so imagine, yeah. imagine your kid comes home and says, the Canucks are going to give me six years at six million. What should I do, Dad? 
<laughs> well, you take well, it, son. Son, you're not worth that kind of money. You're going to say, get in your car, drive back down to the rink, and sign that contract before they change their mind. But Berkey, to your point, when you said when I asked you about Hoagland, you said you know they got to decide what what player is going to give them the best chance to win. I don't know if Louis Erickson does that anymore. And you've also said you've had players who had a no trade clause, and you would say, hey man, I didn't give you that no trade clause. And you always felt there's a way to maybe make things difficult for a player. Could that be a situation here? Well, I don't know. I, what I, I the example I used was Thomas Coverley. And Thomas Coverley had a full no trade, no move, which I didn't give him. I didn't feel bound by it. And the, the agent said, no, he doesn't want to get traded. I said, well, too bad. And so he said, give me a list or else he's not going to play. I don't have to play him. I just can't trade him. And magically, I got a, an opportunity to trade him. So maybe that's the case, but I'm not sure Louis Erickson is tradable at that salary. Thomas Coverley was tradable. No, I don't think there's any value in terms of... Well, you might force league. his hand to say, I don't want to play in Utica. I'll go back to Sweden and, and I'll walk away. Alice Marcus Naslin did in New York saying, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah, I, I wouldn't bet on that for that kind of dough. True. Um, when, when you look around what's that, what else is going around the league right now and the situation in Winnipeg with Patrick Laine and Pierre-Luc Dubois in Columbus... You got these young players and man, this promising talent, and now all of a sudden the suggestions that they both want out. What do you make of these two situations, and and how would you ultimately handle these? Well, if you read the book, and I think you might both have, but if you haven't you read the book, Pac we did. had a rule. Paquin had a rule that when a player asked for a trade, that was the last time he put on the sweater. I had the same rule, not with young players, not with entry level guys, a guy who. You know, he doesn't think he's getting treated fairly. He says, I want out of here. Shut up, kid. Just shut up. You got nothing to say. But when a veteran player asks for a move um, and there's a legit reason behind it, I think now my thinking would be, well, let's see what we can do. But it will certainly be on my time. If we do this, it will be on my time when I get the right deal. The problem is, and you guys know this, when it's a distressed sale, when, when the teams know the player has asked for a trade, you don't get the great offers. Like you look back on the deal I made for Pavel Burry, that wasn't a good deal. It was the best deal I could make. And I, I went to John McCall and said, look, this is not a good deal, but we need to try to win some hockey games. We need to get some assets back in the lineup in return for this player. And it was the best deal we could make at the time. But Pavel scored 50 goals for each of the next two years in Florida. The guys I got back were useful players, really important players. Like Ed Jovanovski was a great player for the Canucks. And Mike Brown chipped in, and Gagne helped a little bit that first year. But we didn't make a good deal. We got a first-round pick as well. But we didn't get value back. And they're going to have a hard time getting value back for Dubois, hard time getting value back for Line A. So what I would say to the players, look, you're stuck. I'm stuck. You want out, that's too bad. You signed a contract with the Winnipeg Jets. You, Pierre Luke, signed a contract with the Columbus Blue Jackets. You come in and do your best, and if something presents itself that makes sense for our hockey team, uh, which comes first, not your feelings don't come first. Uh, if I can make a deal that makes sense, I will make it. Do you check in with your leadership group to make sure those players who are disgruntled are coming in with the right attitude all the time? Yeah, but, you know, hockey players as a group, we're so blessed in our game. I say this all the time. We are so lucky. And so blessed that the players that we have are generally wonderful young men. And a guy won't pout. 
he'll understand two things. One, his teammates deserve better, and two, if he truly wants to get out of there, the best way he can do it is by playing as hard as he humanly can. And I think that's the attitude most players would have coming in. But, yeah, you'd have that discussion. In fact, I'd have the discussion with Dubois in the room. I'd call him the leadership group. I'd say, Pierre-Luc, he wants out. I respect that. Uh, team comes first, so I'm not going to move him unless and until I see something that makes sense for our hockey club. In the meantime, you guys, this is part of the game. And, and Columbus is famous for being hard on money. Keep in mind, they lost Panarin, they lost Dabrowski, they lost Josh Anderson. They make players fight for the money, just like I did. I never apologized to the players in Vancouver. They all knew they had to fight for the money. And I never apologized to them. I said, look, we're in a hard cap system. And so, you know, guess what? And this obviously before the hard cap, but we're in a hard cap system or this is our budget. I don't get to keep any of the money I save on you. I'm going to spend it on a different player. So if you're in a hard cap system and you're a cap team, the money you save on Salkowski can be spent on Burke. So it's not like you get to keep the money. The owner didn't keep the money. It's spent on a different player. So Columbus has always been hard on money. And like I say, I was always hard on money. I never apologized for that. I'd say to the players, do you think I get to keep whatever I save on you? Yeah. Uh, before we uh, before we say goodbye, uh, after finishing up uh, with your book, Burke's Law, which is available online and in bookstores everywhere, I've uh, picked up more of a lighter read in uh, the biography of uh, former U.S. President Ulysses S. Grant, uh, who kind of led the Union Army to victory during the Civil War 150 years ago, Brian. And, boy, yesterday kind of felt like we were – Going to see Civil War Part Two. What did you make of what we uh, saw yesterday at the U.S. Capitol? Well, as a general manager, my first reaction was, what poor planning. It's not like this rally was a secret. <laughs> uh, I, I, can't, I, I, can't, I cannot believe there wasn't a sufficient police presence to deal Agreed. with this group of idiots. No kidding. So that's number one. Number two, it's a sad day. It's a sad day for the United States. There's no other way to look at it. When your when your capital building is overrun with with radical idiots, it's a sad day. Thank you for this. Uh, when we talk next week, we will be talking about games, and it's going to be an awful lot of fun. Berkey, as always, appreciate your time every Thursday morning. Okay, thanks, guys. Brian Burke, uh, presentation of Andrew Sherritt Limited, uh, joining us each and every Thursday morning here on Sportsnet 650. And uh, from down the hall, do we have our own Sonia Aslam with us uh, here this morning? We do. Good morning, oh, boys. Oh, good morning. Good morning. Great news with the power outage in our building. Eh? Uh, yeah, that happened before I got into the studio, so... Non-story. I'm, I'm fine. No, you didn't care. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're fine. Thank you. <laughs> Okay, uh, just to, I mean, TV yesterday, I, I mean, just to make what uh, a wild day for your newsroom as well, trying yeah. to keep track of what was happening south of the border. We just heard from Brian Burke, but uh, yeah. give us a sense of uh, cooler heads finally prevailing last night, and uh, where do we sit today? I, I, You know what? It's funny. I spent I spent some time yesterday after I got home from, you know, a solid 12, 14-hour day and try to think of ways to describe this with you guys on the air this morning, and I just couldn't. And I, and you guys know me pretty well. I'm not one who's ever, you know, at a loss for words. And I just can't come up with 
what the hell happened and where we are right now. Right now, the official thing is, as of early this morning, Joe Biden was officially certified. He will become the next president of the U.S. Inauguration days in a couple of weeks. He was asked, are you concerned about your safety? Are you worried about what's going to happen on January 20th, given what we saw yesterday? And he says no. He's He has complete confidence in that. Um, but there's, 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 you know, it's quite, it's so divisive and it's been like that for, oh, I don't know, four years, just over four years, if not longer, obviously. But, um, no, I think there's just still a lot of people just shaking their heads. And like Brian just said, it's, you know, it's a sad day for the U S and it's, it's more than that. You know, it's sad. It's, it's pathetic. It's scary. It's horrifying. It's there's so many different ways to to describe this. And I know he was just saying that the police response, one of the reasons uh, allegedly why the police response was so uh, slow, uh, so it looked getting into this is because they had asked uh, Capitol Hill had asked for help from the Defense Department and they were told no. And mm. that was a direction from Donald Trump. And then Vice President Mike Pence stepped in and said, no, we are calling in the National Guard. We need the cops here and we need them here now. And then we started seeing troops come in from Virginia and here and there. But it was Trump who said no. So it's not like they weren't called in. They were called in. And then the president in being out of his mind as he is, um, said, no, we're not helping. Let's just see what happens. And then Mike Pence stepping in and saying, no, I'm going to actually override you. We are calling in for help and we need it right now. It, it was amazing to see it unfold. And the thing is, as Berkey said, and, and you can see people wearing T-shirts that were made prior to they knew this was coming. Uh, you know, I had a buddy who was down there for the election. He said, I don't know if I'm there for the election or the coup. It, because they knew it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, closer to home here, uh, we found out an awful lot of people from BC decided that staying at home wasn't the best thing for their mental health and decided to take off uh, over the holidays, didn't we? Yeah, isn't this the best time to travel and take a vacation is during a worldwide pandemic when people are dying? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Is that, is that some sarcasm there? Yeah, no, we got really, really, really scary numbers from Hawaii's uh, transportation department saying that <laughs> yeah. 1,600, almost 1,600 British Columbians went to Hawaii in just the last two weeks. And about 1,200 of them, when asked and gave their reason for why are you in the country, was, oh, I'm here on vacation. I need a break. It, I, I, <laughs> what, <laughs> what? And uh, so, it, you know, the same rules apply. And as of midnight uh, last night, I guess this morning, the new rules to come into the country have also gone into effect. So these people just arrived back in the country. The stats go up until just a couple of days ago. So you know full well that they came back before the new rules came into effect, which is you have to provide a negative COVID-19 test prior to being allowed back into Canada now. And if you can't get that or if your test doesn't come back negative or there's a discrepancy, you are not allowed to board a flight back into this country. You know, as appalling as it is being stuck in Hawaii, not being able to get a COVID test. I mean, I could think of worse places to be stuck in the no, world. No, right? they, they have them. They have them. It just shows that people are just so are so stupid. Well, yeah. OK, that's one part. But just so um, so focused that too. So focused on skirting the rules. You just don't care. Like one of the faculty members at UBC, one of the head department guys, a department of which Dr. Bonnie Henry is a part of, also just admitted he went on vacation. 
Are you kidding me? Your colleague is Dr. Bonnie Henry. And you're like, peace out, guys. It's the holidays. I'll see you in two weeks. What are you doing? Let's see with a good tan. Uh, yeah. it's... I think it's one thing to take time off. It's another thing when you decide, hey, um, I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna disregard everything that we've been trying to practice here and preach. Yeah. No, it's it just everything drips with hypocrisy for any any members who are politicians or anything like that. And for anyone else, I get it. I think everyone needs a break, but I encourage you to stay local and to maybe go to the park or do whatever it is you need to do for your mental health because I get it. But jumping on a plane and going to Maui is not the solution right now. It's just not. I don't I don't think anyone has to tell you that. Uh, stay safe. Thanks. Thanks. You Good too, morning. guys. Thanks. All right. Get off that soapbox there, Aslam. Come on. There we go. Okay, I'm five feet. I, 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 I kind of need it. I need Third it list. just to reach the mic. <laughs> Love it. Uh, Sonia Aslam from News 1130 just down the hall uh, dropping by uh, with the latest uh, what's happening this morning in the world. All right, 26 minutes after 7 o'clock here on this Thursday morning. Perry Selkowski, James Sabalski kicking it with you until 9 o'clock. Uh, quite the night for Niels Hoaglander at the Canucks scrimmage. Uh, meantime, we will continue our journey across the Gord Downey Division. We will stop in to win Peg with Sportsnet Sean Reynolds next right here on your home of Vancouver Hockey Sportsnet 650. Naturally, I think it's really good for us for the game for Vancouver to be seen as like a first like a great city which is have more attention for our young players into the the east. I feel like sometimes like like all the attention goes on to uh, Matthews, Marner and uh, even Suzuki now like gets a big attention and I don't think our guys sometimes get the attention they deserve. This is the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. Antoine Roussel is officially a Vancouverite. Preaching about the Eastern bias. I think that officially makes him one of us now, right, Perry? Well, Listen, he makes a great point, and that's our Sportsnet 650 poll question. Do you think the Canucks are slighted by national media? 77% of you say yes, they are. And, you know, I never thought of this schedule as the fact that those in Montreal and, and Toronto, where it all starts, are going to see this hockey team uh, as often as they will. To go, yeah, no, they are a player. If Rossell's talking Suzuki, you're telling me, and, and you're talking about three guys who are up for the Calder, you're going to see this hockey team and appreciate what they are. I don't think the players care. I don't think the fans care. But it is going to open up the eyes to a lot of people out east because of the number of games they'll play against the Canadians and the Montreal and the Toronto Maple Leafs. Do you think the Canucks are really disrespected? Oh, I, well, I'm not going to say disrespected. What did you have to respect them for the last well, four but, or five oh, but, years? But like, this is one that kind of hit for you, right? Like we talked, you know, this morning it was one that we were talking about the show. You're like, man, I really want to kind of get to this, like, you know, the the Eastern biased and the Canucks kind of feel slighted. I mean, well, I think that's always the case, though, James. I think in 2011, did you not think the Canucks were disrespected? We had stories on how they weren't into, uh, you know, that, that the rest of Canada not necessarily cheering for Vancouver. If you play in this time zone, those who, you know, where the most majority of the population is and the, and the media is, you don't watch them at 10 o'clock at night. It's just you, you can't. So I think you can always say there will be a little bit of disrespect and lack of attention to any team that plays in the Pacific uh, time zone. Do, do I think that the overwhelming majority of hockey media is in the Northeast, in the New York tri-states area, and obviously in Eastern Canada, in, in Toronto? Yes, I do. But, 
Man, I just think with digital media now, I think it's hard to use that as an excuse. Like games, every game's televised now. You know, YouTube highlights, you know, social media. You got to be living under a rock. Like, you know, Elliot Friedman talks about it all the time, man. Connects Twitter. Like, you know, this is a vocal fan base. Like, you got to be living under a rock if you don't know what's going on with the Vancouver Canucks or teams on the West Coast for the most part. You're, you just either choose to ignore but I just don't know if that bias necessarily exists as it once did, say, 25 years ago. I would have seen that more as a valid argument. Now I well, feel then like it's less. Anton Roussel, he's the guy who said it yesterday. I'm just agreeing with him. All right. Okay. Uh, we'll continue our conversation across the country through the Gord Downey Division. Is that what we renamed it, Pear? I think the Gord Downey Division is, is the right. I'm a massive hockey fan. What's more Canadian than the hip? What's hipper than hockey? It all works for me. Well, you know what? Let's see if the Western bias exists uh, for the Eastern bias, for that matter, exists in the eyes of Winnipeggers as we uh, check in with uh, Sportsnet's Sean Reynolds as the Jets get ready for another season. Uh, Happy New Year, Sean. Happy New Year. And and, uh, am I hearing you guys sound like you're hard done by out there on the West Coast and that people aren't paying? Perry does. Perry. Perry's feeling that way. I mean. I'm from Winnipeg, guys. Let's let's have some respect <laughs> for the guys who get the least respect, okay? Sean, I didn't want to go there. That's why Seaball was uh, introducing you because it was like, <laughs> my goodness, we can't have a respect conversation and have Sean come on and go, uh, hello. Hold my beer. Living a lifetime yeah. in the middle. Exactly. No one cares about us. Thank you for the ignition. <laughs> Uh, so let's dive in. I mean, I I feel like uh, I feel like people are definitely talking about the Jets. Uh, maybe not necessarily for the right reason, but obviously all eyes on on the Patrick Line saga. What's what's the end game here? We've talked about this a few times. Give me a sense uh, of how things have worked in camp so far. Well, I mean, from the outside, and and if you want to go where you guys were talking about before, if this story was happening in Toronto, it would be the only thing you know media would be talking about because it would be such a big deal and. In Winnipeg, to be quite honest, this is almost a tired storyline. Now, I'm not saying that to say look in the other direction, but what I am saying is it would be more unusual in Winnipeg if you were heading into camp without a player asking for a trade than with a player because you had Evander Kane for years who was asking for a trade. It wasn't made public, but that was happening year after year. Same situation with Jacob Truba. And Patrick Laine just last year came into camp and was very vocally upset with his role with the team. And now you've got... Both uh, uh, Jack Roswick and, and Patrick Lyonnais' agents talking about, you know, a need for change. So this is very normal, and it's become very normal for the Winnipeg Jets as an organization and a, a, as a roster to operate with these kind of feelings happening uh, as you're trying to get everyone pulling on the rope. And I think the one thing that they've done really good in years, or, or really well, excuse me, in years past is, Despite the fact, uh, you know, there, there's players that want out. I think they've done a really good job of t- letting those players know that getting out of town, the, the best way to do it is to grab a hold of that rope and pull as hard as you can, you know, and show your best so that the best offers are going to be coming up for you. Because the one thing we know about Kevin Chevalier is he does not bow to that pressure. And he's the type of general manager that only moves players when he feels he's getting good value in return. So if you want out of town, you need to be the kind of player that's going to play so well that other GMs need you and, you know, throw out the kind of offers that Kevin Chevalier is going to bite on. Sean, do you think, you know, we saw and we heard from what Liney, what he said, and then, then Blake Wheeler and others in the leadership group are, 
are forced to answer answer the question in day one. Um, Is it gone and forgotten? Do you think it bothers the players inside the room? I mean, I'm sure it does. I'm I'm sure it bothers them that it's happening. I'm sure it bothers them that they had to answer the questions. There was a real revealing, you know, moment for me back when Evander Kane was finally traded. You know, all all season the the players had kind of been going about for him and standing up for him. And and then you had conversations when he finally moved and, and, and players were finally able to, you know, maybe a little more express how they felt about the whole thing. And I had players saying to you, like, you don't know what it's been like to, to have to answer these questions, you know, to, to, to have to, rather than talk about hockey, to spend our time and our energy on, on addressing this situation over and over. And so I, I think in the case of the Jets this year, it, that's happening. But as, as I said, it's just happened so often, it's old hat to these players. And I think they are very, very well able to compartmentalize that now at this straight stage. I mean, you take a look at uh, the 2018 team. Um, that went to the the Western Conference Finals, Jacob Trouba was a massive part of that team, you know, and this was after he'd uh, not come to camp and held out for a little bit, I, uh, you know, over the season before. Um, but, I mean, Jacob Trouba did exactly what I was talking about earlier, and he put his best foot forward. He became a part of the team. He didn't become a distraction. He, he pulled on the rope, and, and that led to him getting out of town and getting a really, really big payday. So, I do think the Jets uh, have done a really good job of, of taking players who, who aren't happy and and allowing them or, or putting them in a position where they just want to play hockey, and then that becomes their safe space. And, and once those players kind of fall into that, I think they stop being a distraction. Sean Reynolds from uh, our Winnipeg Bureau with us here on Sportsnet 650. When you look at, you know, the idea of contenders and Stanley Cup contenders and who's got a shot to win or maybe end this Canadian Cup drought. Feels like, you know, we're going to talk about the, the slight and the bias. You know, Ottawa is off. Everybody pegs Ottawa to be in the basement. But I, I feel like most projections seem to have Winnipeg on the outside looking in at a playoff spot. What's the sense? Like, is is there a cup window still open for this team in your mind with what you've got up front, what you got in goal? I mean, everybody kind of talks about the holes on the blue line, but there's still a lot of talent on this roster, Sean. Yeah, I look at this team and I think I think of everything in terms of a four-year window because four years from now, that's when uh, Mark Scheifele's uh, deal is up, Connor Hellebuck's deal is up, uh, uh, Blake Wheeler's deal is up, and, and I see them as the core of the team. So any moves I would be doing as a general manager would be under the assumption that you have a Stanley Cup window open for the next four years because again you've got you know the best goalie in the league last year you've got Mark Scheifele who's a player who's year after year going to challenge for top 10 in league scoring big strong center and you're not even getting into the fact that they've got you know two of the most dynamic scorers in the game in Patrick Laine and Kyle Connor if you were a general manager taking over this team you would be absolutely ecstatic with all the pieces that they have in place and you know there's it just seems like there's a couple spots that need to be addressed to to take this team from being you know kind of on a little bit on the outskirts like they were last season you know just kind of hovering around that playoff line when play came to a stop and turning them into that you know juggernaut that we saw them being two years ago and looked like they were going to be for a long time so i do think that the stanley cup window is open I do think that their defense really cost them last season, and they admitted that in in uh, camp so far this year. They gave up way too many 
high danger chances. They need to cut that down. Did they do enough on defense to take care of that? I don't think so, um, but they did add Paul Stastny as a centerman and uh, Nate Thompson uh, coming in from uh, from Montreal, or I guess he was, I think he's a Washington after the trade deadline. Um, but Paul Maurice has talked extensively so far about those two players and, and the center position being key in, in, in making them a more defensive team. So it seems like they're trying to defend from up front, which they did really well two years ago. Um, I still don't think they're built. You take a look at this roster compared to what they were two years ago. They're not better than that team, which means that they're up in that caliber. Um, but, you know, you never know with the season. And uh, with uh, Brian Littleout, the LTIR, he, he leaves behind. They've got money to address these issues. So if they're able to pick up some defensemen throughout the year, I mean, this is not a team anyone should be sleeping on. If they were able to move Line A, do you think they would be trying to replace the goals or would they try and move them for someone of that kind of stature and future that's on the blue line already? Oh, I think it would have to be for, for moving them uh, for a big piece on defense. I mean, that, I, I'm not saying that's what they would do, um, but I think that that's what you would have to do. I mean, you've got Kyle Connor who scores 30 goals like it's, you know, popping Tic Tacs. He, he can do it. Nick Ehlers is a player that uh, – that, uh, you know, is close to 30 goals a year. And, you know, if his role was increased a little bit, he, he looks to me like he'd be a 30-goal player. And they got young guys. I mean, Jensen Harkins, I, I, I'm a really, really big fan of. He's, uh, he's really, you know, coming into his own. And there, there's players that are, are ripening in the Jets system or sometimes on those third and fourth lines that were they to be given a chance in a top-six role, I think that they would do just fine. So I think there's replacements up front for Patrick Laine. They really need, you know, that defenseman who can kind of take control of a game uh, on the back end. They don't have that. And really, if you take a look at what they can do up front as far as scoring and what they've got in net, that really is the big, wide, gaping hole that they need to address. Sean, nice to catch up. Uh, I'm sure we'll be talking multiple times over the course of the season with nine games between the Jets and the Canucks on the 56-game schedule. Uh, all the best, man. Stay warm out there. And, yeah. um, you know, as much as we might like to complain out here on the West Coast, we'll take solace <laughs> in knowing that we got you beat at least, all right? <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. I self-respected this conversation. Thanks. Fair, fair enough, fair enough. I, that, that point taken. Uh, Sean Reynolds uh, from Sportsnet's Winnipeg Bureau on the, the Winnipeg Jets and what lies ahead for them here on Sportsnet 650. All right, it's 745. Your Canucks commute coming your way at the top of the clock. Ian McIntyre, the Sportsnet Canucks triple threat, will join the conversation as well. The Dunbar Lumber text line always open at 656. 50 and a reminder that this hour is a presentation of Dunbar Lumber, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Buter Street in Vancouver or check them out online at DunbarLumber.com. Your home of the Canucks. We'll talk about Hoaglander and what he's been doing, opening eyes and raising eyebrows and doing it again last night at the scrimmage. We'll continue it next right here on Sportsnet 650. Now more the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. Your Canucks commute coming your way at the top of the hour. James Sabolski, Perry Solkowski kicking it with you, and uh, Ian McIntyre will join the conversation uh, just after 8 o'clock. Did you happen to notice on the helmets last night, Pear, at the Canucks scrimmage at Rogers Arena? The uh, helmet ad. Is that Rogers? 
Yeah. Not surprised. I'm wondering we're going to try right now. We'll fire some text out to see if if the company is sponsoring it, if, if you and I could have enough clout that maybe we have a picture of us in the starting lineup on someone's helmet. Whose helmet would you like if we could have if, – if every one of our shows – because Rogers is the helmet sponsor, could show up. What player do you want to be on? Uh, Petey. Really? I would say because we're a talk show, you want to be enthusiastic, you want to have something to say, I would go with Nate Schmidt. See, I feel Which like play- uh, Petey who's doesn't the best represent player? our show. Who's the guy, I mean, who's the guy, who's the guy that uh, the Eastern media that likes to disrespect the, uh, the rest of Western Canada is going to most frequently talk about either Quinn Hughes or Elias Pedersen. Well, yeah, you're uh, you're, you're playing it smart because you want exposure, but I'm trying to find a player that fits what we do. Yeah. Go on Petey's helmet. Yeah. Then I'll, you know, and just kind of roll that way. But now, Rogers, it doesn't surprise me. Pair, in in all seriousness and all kidding aside from our parent company that signs our paychecks, um, the money and the dollars that Rogers spends on the Vancouver Canucks Naming of the building, Rogers Arena, uh, television rights deal, which are millions and millions and millions of dollars. Uh, there you go, Rogers, right? Sportsnet, uh, you know, Sportsnet Radio from a digital stand. Uh, there's a lot of money that I, I don't I, like off the top of my head. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, and I don't have all the dollars and the details and the paperwork from inside the building and the Canucks offices. I don't think that there's a sponsor that spends more money on the Vancouver Canucks year after year after year than Rogers. So the fact that they're on there, like that, it uh, feels like kind of obvious there. No. And you know what? And, and that's been the case with pretty much all of the, the helmet sponsors. You just yes. go, well, yeah, that makes sense. That's, that's who it is. And I don't think it, we will be bothered by it the least bit. Once the puck drops on Wednesday, you're not going to look at our, our producer giving us the right answer as to whose helmet should we be on Demko's. You want exposure. You want to be on the goalie helmet. You know, somebody made but, a great yeah. point last week that, you know, nobody's complained about that big Bauer logo on people's helmets for years, right? No. Or Jofa when Wayne Gretzky was rolling back in the 80s. That's it. It's been such a long time coming. Why not do it? When you're looking for revenue stream, this will be the first. I'm sure at some point we will see two or three more. And if it means money for everybody involved in the game, that's the owners and the players. Why do it? Honestly, are fans bothered at all? At what point during that Russia-Canada game did you go, oh, those helmets just really bother me? You go, oh, look what uh, the, it says the, in the, the Russian The, Russian, yeah, all right, the, Russian, the, the Russian stickers. And play. Yeah, the Russian stickers were kind of late. They, they, I felt like they could have put a little more detail or make a little more of an attempt on that one. Um, hey, but listen. They, they made yeah. you smile, and then that was it. You watched the game. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I, they made me smile. It was just kind of, uh, you guys could just spend a little more on a little cleaner sticker on that. Uh, Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly um, was on our sister station, uh, Sportsnet 590, the fan in Toronto, bright and early this morning. He was asked about the possibility of some fans in the stands. Here's what the Deputy Commissioner had to say this morning. Obviously, with the introduction of the vaccines um, uh, in North America, we don't we don't view that as being necessarily part of this season's recovery um, but it's on the horizon there's a light at the end of the tunnel and and we think uh, we're certainly hopeful um, that the the situation continues to improve over the next uh, several months Um, we're going to be starting uh, next Wednesday dropping the puck I think five of our teams um, expect to be able to host uh, uh, fans Um, and uh, we hope that number grows over the course of the season 
we don't have a, kind of a projection as to what that might be. Uh, but obviously, um, you know, as, as the situation improves, we, we hope uh, more and more fans can enjoy the game in person. Don't see it happening here on this side of the border this season, pair. but I think the hope is that there'll be a sense of normalcy by the fall, but 5 of 31 and, you know, um, you're 5 of 26 U.S. teams anyway. That's, you know, essentially almost a fifth of the league uh, south of the border. I, I wonder how much of a push occurs when they get to the playoffs in, in, in late May. When that money, that revenue from tickets goes to owners – I wonder if you revisited here north of the border and just see where are we. John Torrey of the Leafs said, hey, we would be welcoming it. Berkey has told us when he got his season tickets, they said, would you be, what percentage would you be interested in? I think the, I, I wouldn't be so sure, James, to say, I don't think we'll see it here. Uh, I think we, we might be three or four months away, but I think it'll be revisited come playoff time to see if you could get a percentage of people in depending on where we are, obviously. But I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility people will go to Rogers Arena to watch hockey games. Your Canucks commute is next right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. A cup of Joe and the Canuck commute. Team White with it in the Team Blue zone. Here's a chance for Bo Horvat. Left wing, he scores. As Blue couldn't clear the zone, Chase Harlock held in at the right point. Played it down to the right circle for Cole Lind, who went across the slot to the left wing for Horvat. A five-star morning on the starting lineup. Eight o'clock, hour number three here on this Thursday morning. Nice to have hockey back on the airwaves last night here on Sportsnet 650. Brendan Batchelor with the call as the Canucks um, on the ice. A little competitive juice is going. And uh, Niels Hoaglander, kind of the story. And this is your Canucks commute. James Sabalski, Perry Silkowski, Ian McIntyre will join us here in just a couple of minutes. But I'll tell you what, Per, I, before everybody got on the ice, I didn't think it would be possible for Niels Hoaglander to land a spot with the Vancouver Canucks. It felt ambitious. I thought from the get-go that, you know what, go play in Utica, go marinate and develop get acclimated to the North American game. Um, but I'll tell you what, right now, you can't deny that this kid has been the story of camp thus far in the eyes of everybody that has been watching this team on the ice over the last three days at Rogers Arena. Uh, during the summer, we had Cody Curran on. He was uh, vacationing in a Soyuz. He's from Calgary. Cody is with the Anaheim Ducks his first year, but he's been a longtime player around the world and was playing in Sweden and has for the last two years uh, – with Hoaglander's team. And that was not the conversation we were having. We were talking about his journey and he's going to be the oldest free agent in the NHL. And he essentially kind of goes, Hey, by the way, I, I know Pedersen's in Vancouver, but you guys are going to be shocked by Niels Hoaglander. And I was like, wow, where did that come from? And you see the goals and you wonder, okay, are you waiting to leave? You hear his coach call him out defensively. And you wondered if this kid just is the new era of hockey player that goes, I can play with the best. I don't know where I'm from. And he's been given an opportunity that I didn't think would be possible. I understand what the Canucks are doing. And boy, being engaged, showing that he can skate, having his teammates like Anton Roussel, you heard yesterday on our station, go, man, I would draft him if I'm in any kind of a player draft because this guy's going to put up points. He's checking all the right boxes. Ice James, it's three days, but... Is it possible the Canucks 
might have another legitimate rookie who can pop in and make a difference on their lineup. If they are, sky's the limit for this team. I'm not saying this year, but, man, where are these guys in two or three years with these young kids and the experience they'll have? Well, what does Travis Green's resume look like if at the end of the year and his contract's up and you have – and I, I know, again, I know this is all ifs and buts and candies and nuts, but what if you had a fourth Calder candidate, right? How 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 good does well, that look that like Travis on Travis Green Green's is it the scouting department? Are we going to hear Jed Brackett shout out again? Like it just means this organization <laughs> knew what was going on. It is uh, – look, at this point in time, it has changed the conversation as to what the Vancouver Canucks look like. You know, I think the big question, you and I were both on the same page when the offseason began and free agency started that, you know what, the guy that we both wanted to see above and beyond anybody that was a pending free agent was we wanted to see Tyler Toffoli stay. I, I think we were both on the yeah. same page that we liked the fit. There was chemistry there with Pedersen and Miller, uh, even though he was, you know, he wasn't 100% in the playoffs. Like, there was a fit there. And there's a glaring hole up front with their group of forwards. At this point in time, it looks like that void might be filled by Niels Hoaglander. Ian McIntyre uh, joins us here uh, this morning here as part of the Canucks commute. He was there last night to watch it all unfold. He's been at the rink at Rogers Arena the last three days. Happy New Year, Ian. Well, Happy New Year to you guys. I, I have been at the rink, and it's still just seems incredible to me when I was watching that scrimmage last night to think that one week from then, six nights from now, the Canucks are going to be playing the Edmonton Oilers. Like, incredible in the sense that what you watched looked like uh, a scrappy shinny. No, or... just because it's, it's been uh, so long and there was, there was uh, some doubt uh, about whether this was going to happen, and all, all of a sudden it's yeah, it's on, and here it is, with with no exhibition games, uh, a limited training camp, and uh, it just uh, it kind of doesn't feel doesn't feel real. But man, if it's not real, we needed a break from reality yesterday with what was with what was going on. So yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I think I think the Canucks are are going to do better than some people think like I don't we'll see how Hamannick looks but I don't I don't buy that this is you know kind of a step back season after what happened last year certainly the the players don't feel that way I think I think it's just going to be uh, you know a wonderful regular season with this all Canadian division I think we're all going to be captivated by the games and and we would be no matter what, because this is this is a, a a once ever thing. All the Canadian teams playing each other, uh, and we would pay attention to it no matter what under any circumstances. But the fact that it's so competitive with this group uh, is it's just going to be uh, incredible viewing. It's going to be it's going to be close and and competitive. Uh, the whole way, and I think the Canucks are are right in the mix with with everybody else. I know Toronto is probably just a little bit ahead on, on paper, but you know they still have to go out and do it. And Ottawa is maybe just slightly behind, but they're going to be better. But everybody else in between, man, it's it's hard to hard to pick. 
Um, I was one who said this team, um, I, maybe they do take a step back. It's amazing how that changed on the weekend with Hamina coming in. You go, there's your veteran. That'll help. You have been around this team a long time and have seen three or four days of, of good practice and, and go, well, he might be able to play. Will Hoglander be able to play? Are we just going, are we on a hype machine? Or is it legitimate that this guy could be a difference and take that top six role? Well, right now it's hard to imagine from what we've seen the last three days that he isn't going to start in that top six role. Now, what he does with it and how impactful he is and and whether he retains it, uh, uh, I don't know. But right now it's going to be a surprise if next Wednesday in Edmonton, Nils Hoglander isn't in the lineup playing playing with Bo Horvat. I thought he was. I thought he not only looked good again last night. Uh, certainly in the third period, is probably the best player uh, on the ice. He's just has so much confidence. You you see young guys, and you you often see uh, their nerves, and and understandably so. And you notice the deficiencies uh, that that come along with their inexperience. And Hoglander, for sure, uh, has some deficiencies. I mean, he's a just-turned-20-year-old who's never played here. But what you notice uh, each of these three days is his strengths because he has such confidence that those strengths he has of, of making plays, of using his speed to get to the puck and get to places uh, he needs to be to to uh, receive the puck and, and, and make plays. He, it it just uh, you know he, he's just a guy who who has a lot of belief in himself clearly and and just seems to be having a ton of fun doing this. Um, I think part of you know Part of the hype is because there's just there's nobody really else for for that for that job. You know, we thought it would be, and even the team indicated that Jake Vertanen was was going to get a chance in the top six with Toffoli leaving. And you know, they've got these good prospects on defense that are you know several of them pushing now towards uh, trying to play. Uh, on the NHL team, but they, there isn't that depth of forward. There's there's Hoglander and there's Pod Colson, and for now that's it. And Pod Colson is is still in Russia, so it, there's just a lot riding, I think, uh, on Hoglander because there's not a lot of alternatives there. But he has been better than I think anybody thought he would be uh, at at this stage, and. You know, each each day that he does this, uh, he's that much closer to to being in the lineup. I keep waiting for him to to you know be exposed, for lack of a better term, and and we just don't see it. Now, again, making the team and having an impact are are, are two different things. Uh, but for now, he's he's doing absolutely everything he can and has been better than than anybody thought and i think you know right now as i said it's it's going to be a surprise if he's not on the team like why wouldn't he be the way yeah. he's playing ian mcintyre here on sportsnet 650 and you know i guess there's a couple of questions with that is is it sustainable and i think you kind of raised that point where 
you know, as a young player, and especially in a 56-game sprint, you know, does is there a rookie wall to be hit for a young player if he does ultimately stick with this team this year? And the other, my other question is this, Ian, and the way that Travis Green has matched up Bo Horvat's line, where Hoaglander's kind of fit in here over the last few days, you know, Bo's kind of been put in that sort of matchup role and matching up against some of these power lines in the National Hockey League when the Canucks have gone head-to-head. You know, Jake Furtanen's shortcomings was always, you know, an in, incomplete or an inconsistent game. Hoaglander's been knocked by his coaches in Sweden for, you know, maybe not being as mindful in his own end as he is creatively, offensively in, his, in the offensive zone. You know, d- does this create maybe a shift in thinking for how the Canucks will ultimately deploy their lines if Hoaglander can stick up front? Well, I think what it means, and and you raise a good point about sort of the defensive side of the game, because we know that if you play with Bo Horvat, then you're going to be playing against the other team's top players. That's mm-hmm. just how it is. You're going to be starting a lot of shifts in your own zone. And, and in that respect, um, Hoaglander isn't an ideal fit, and as you pointed out, Neither is Jake Vertanen. Uh, I, I think what it means is that the Elias Petterson's line is is going to often just play head to head against the other team's top line. Uh, I, I think I think basically uh, those those two lines are are going to be out against the other team's best players uh, an awful lot. Um, I also wonder whether at, you know, at some point, assuming again, that Hoglander does sustain this and is part of the team. I, I wonder, is he going to play on the top line? Is he going to play with Pedersen and Miller? And you'll have Besser w- uh, at times with Horvat and Pearson. We haven't seen that yet, but I, I, I think that's possible uh, as well, he he's going to have to, no matter where he plays. And and when you wonder about sustainability, we can see his offensive ability, uh, Niels Hoglander, and, and his confidence. Uh, and yes, he's small, but that's not at this point. That's not an issue. He's he's a really solid guy on his skates, and he's strong on the puck. But the key to that sustainability will be uh, how does he play against other teams' really good players when he's having to defend? How is he in his own zone and along the boards? Is he is is he a liability? How much? Uh, there's lots of you know great offensive players who aren't so great in their own zone, but in this league, you. you you have to learn and you have to get by. You have to be able to, to limit those weaknesses or at least play through them, get around them, and, and find a way to play to your strengths. And that will be the key for, for Hoglander. It's the key for any player. And, and it's tough, and especially for, for somebody who turned 20 years old in December and is going to play at a level that he's never played at uh, on a nice surface, he's not accustomed to. Although, I was thinking as well last night. You know, he's he's so quick over uh, short spaces. You know, two strides and getting to a puck that's twenty feet away. I I wonder if he's going to be a player 
probably much like uh, the Sedins and who were not quick, but you know their style of game. They might be more. He might be more suited to an NHL rink than an international rink. We'll see. We'll see. But the, that defensive side of the game and how he handles his half of the ice is is going to largely determine uh, how much and how impactful uh, Hoglander is in position to be. Because if he can't take care of his half of the ring, it's the NHL. Uh, you can't just play in one half of the ring. So, so we'll see how he does that way. But there's no question that he has the skills uh, with the puck to to play at this level. It's just the 200-foot game. It, it's amazing how he has dominated and, and justifiably so the conversation in this city to the point that a one player who has dominated conversation for three years about could he, will he, can he make the jump is Ole Olevi. And not that he is doing this right now with no spotlight on him because we've waited for so long. But does he look like he will be here to stay and will be able to play at this level and be a solid contributor to the blue line? Well, I think he is here to stay. I think I think it's been it's been a bit of a boat race about will Ole Ulevi be on the team or not because the the Canucks have essentially said since last summer that mm-hmm. that he's going to be on, on this year's team. So it was, you know, Hoaglander had to come in and, and and earn a spot. He essentially has to take a spot away that we thought would go to somebody else. Ole Ulevi just has to hang on to the spot that he was kind of allocated to start with. Uh, and and do enough to show that he's yes the the team's belief in him and and that his development arc is now uh, now intersects with the NHL. Yulevi just has to show that, and and I think he has. Uh, I think he's he's kind of had a uh, I don't want to say quiet camp because I think I think he's been good, but this is just the player that he is, and this is. I think one thing that we've a lot of people have had to come to to grips with when when thinking about Ole Ulevi is there, there isn't a spectacular element to his game. There's not there's not many nights he's going to be the first star, but he does a lot of little things well, and the things that he he uh, maybe didn't do well enough uh, a couple of years ago, he's worked hard to address that which is mostly about, again, playing in his own zone. Uh, he was never going to be this flashy defenseman dashing up the ice and, and getting a ton of points, but he can, he can make a pass and he can move, and he's a smart player. Uh, he's had some health issues, so that's been a factor, but the, the, he has to take all those little tools he has and, and pool them together to be a good NHL player. And I think... I think he he is getting a little better each day, uh, but he is going to be on the team. He's he's going to be the the third pairing, if you want to call it that, because I I do think what we're seeing right now in camp, where you have you know veteran defensemen paired with younger defensemen, I think we're probably going to see that in the regular season. But Ole Ole Levy 
is going to be on the team. And uh, I think I think that he is ready. I know you know it's hard to talk to guys right now because we're essentially limited to Zoom. But uh, between last year uh, on in the bubble in Edmonton and, and now, uh, talking to a, a few of his teammates, they you know they think that he's he's ready and uh, he's going to get the chance. And again, just like. Uh, just like with Hoglander or any rookie player, you know, making the team is different than, than staying on the team. And and staying on the team is different than making an impact. So we've got a long way to wait uh, to find out. We've waited a while for Ulevi. Obviously, we're going to have to wait a bit more. But, I mean, so far, so good. He hasn't, he hasn't done anything in these three days, to me, that says he's not ready. Yeah, he's just quiet and unassuming. Dave McIntyre, and was this brought to you by pain meds? How are you feeling? You're on RI. People don't know. What, a broken arm? Uh, broken wrist. Broke it broken December wrist. 7th. Required surgery December 14th. So I can now set off the metal detectors in the airport. Um, you know, ski jumping is tough. I got to tell you guys. You got to be careful of the big hill. Oh, is that where you broke it, skiing? No, ski jumping. I was joking. Can you oh, picture me ski jumping? When's it off? Uh, four, I don't know, four weeks or less. Makes typing tough, i got to tell you. Well, played, well you know what, we talked about injuries it. being part of the game for this 56-game sprint. We just didn't realize <laughs> that the media would be impacted yeah. as well. Happy New Year, man. Nice to catch you, up with you. you got to play hurt. Obviously, I'm going to have to come up with another story because I just got a blank. From you guys when I said ski jumping. No ski jumping. You I don't. That would be funny. Jumping. Can you picture me ski, in a ski jumping suit at the top of the ramp, pointing my skis down? You injured your hand trying to uh, clear Telemark out those landing. barnyard animals out of Capitol Hill with that Viking guy and that Chewbacca-looking fool, and that's how you hurt yourself. I, that's a good story. There you go. Yeah, I'll come up with something better. Go with hitting a ball out of the rough. I've gone with bull riding. I like bull riding. <laughs> Again, I, I don't see have, it. You, you know, you, again, the six foot four, early fifties guy on a bucking bull. Come on, <laughs> it's it's plausible. You're, how about you're four under on the eighteenth, about to shoot the round of your life. Your drives in the rough. Your balls on the root of a tree, but you said, "Damn it, I'm going to do anything I can to get this ball to green." You did, but subsequently you broke your wrist. Oh man, if I could ever shoot four under it would be worth it i would tell you i'd break both no i won't say that it's better than a ski jump i won't say breaking both wrists but it'd be nice to shoot four under thank you stay safe see you guys you too ian mcintyre joining us here and uh man there, there's uh, at this point look there's still time to play this thing out for training camp but as ian mentioned there's six days to opening night here pair like on this day, a week from now, we're going to be talking about what went down after a Canucks and Oilers game in Edmonton. And at this point in time, it's hard not to envision Niels Hoaglander being part of the lineup come opening night. Okay, back to our point in the poll question about do they do they get kind of national attention? Do you think a whole bunch of people, when the Oilers uh, welcome the Canucks on next Wednesday, they'll go, oh, who's this guy in the, who's this Hoaglander guy? No. So he will be another surprise. And uh, Ian has seen so many people come through this lineup. 
he was not really telling everybody to jump off that hype train, was he? Sounds like the real deal. No, he certainly he certainly wasn't, and that's and that's the focus of his story uh, this morning on uh, Sportsnet.ca's website as well, just discussing uh, the rise. We'll continue this conversation as well. It has certainly been the talking point of training camp, and it continues to be, and I'm sure it will be once again today uh, down at Rogers Arena as well. If you missed it earlier, Brian Burke joined us uh, bright and early this morning to weigh in on his thoughts on the Vancouver Canucks. We'll hear from Berkey next right here on your home of Vancouver Hockey, home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Now more of the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. 31 minutes after 8 o'clock here on this uh, Thursday morning. Sabolski, Solkowski taking you until 9 o'clock. That's when the Scott Ritual Show takes on over. NFL playoffs coming up this weekend, but the story right now here in these parts... Canucks camp and the youngster Niels Hoaglander pushing hard and in a big way for a spot last night man some standout moments pair he makes a beautiful little nifty uh, play to steal the puck off Elias Pedersen no easy feat there uh, absolutely deeks Jake Bertanen out of his jockstrap along the wall as well at one point during the game um creative offensively he wants the puck and from what i hear the coaches have absolutely loved what they've seen so far from niels hoaglander through the three days on the ice he should be better than everybody he's been playing pro hockey for the last you know three months ostensibly right he's got 22 games under his belt now granted not at the nhl level but i would argue right now the nhl players aren't at their regular nhl level so head start to hoaglander but just because you're playing doesn't mean you think the game well. Just because you're playing doesn't mean their style of play is one that's very engaged. Um, and that just seems to be his characteristics. So you're never going to have a coach say, hey, he looks really good. Like, no, he can play in the NHL. Travis Green, I mean, you try and find Travis Green saying anything over the moon and throwing roses to Quinn Hughes. He was just like, yeah, he's good, and I know he's good, and you know he's good, but how many times can I say that? He's a young guy. We're letting him play. Uh, when Anton Roussel yesterday was asked about uh, Hoaglander, and he went off, that's when I think players always say players know. Guys in the room know if this is something that's sustainable. And three days in, I don't think there's anyone, media, coaches, or players, that are going, this will be too much for him. And um, I'm almost – Shock, James, that Hoaglander might be the void that's filled. When we asked Jim Benning a month ago on the show, is it fair to say your vacancy is on the right side? He goes, yes. And all of a sudden, possibly it could be filled. Well, you know, we, we continue to we continue to let this thing play out. And, and uh, you know, your point about, hey, he, he's had a few months. He's been playing games. There's a competitive advantage. You know what? Use every advantage at your dispersal. Like if you've got that advantage, use what you've got to get you here. And if that's and if that's having three months of playing as a competitive advantage, go for it. Right? Everybody's for going sure. to bring something. I don't I, I don't I don't begrudge him for it. And you know, do you knock the guy for it? If he came in game ready, great. Uh this you know, he's he's a young player, right? I mean, obviously there's limitations, there's gonna be knocks against him. You know, he's an unknown commodity. But the fact is that from day one the coaching staff have put him. You know, here's the other thing, Pear. They put him in a position to succeed. 
right? They've yep. set him up to, to succeed as opposed to fail. You know, it's not like they put him in a, in a spot where, okay, you know what, you're going to play alongside, and, and no disrespect to Jay Beagle because he's been a, a wonderful hockey player in the National Hockey League for several years. But it's not like he's playing up against, playing alongside grinders and muckers and blue-collar guys. He's playing with some skilled guys. He's playing with some impact players for the Vancouver Canucks alongside the captain of the team, Bo Horvat, playing alongside Tanner Pearson, who's a 20-goal scorer last year. Like, he's playing with some real players. And he is making the most of his opportunities through two practices and through a significant scrimmage. And anybody that's been at the rink the last three days, the biggest takeaway day after day after day is how noticeable Niels Hoaglander. Listen to Tanner Pearson, what he was saying, you know, in his comments earlier this week. You know, Antoine Roussel, same thing on the Scott Rintoul show yesterday. Both of them with glowing comments about what they're seeing from this youngster. And for the fourth straight year, the conversation in camp is circling around a rookie. Well done. Hey, uh, he has been the topic of conversation. Brian Burke joined us, and we asked him, okay, fans love him. Players seem to be, hey, th- this guy can do it. So now what about management? And we asked Berkey, what would you do when you got a rookie or a veteran who's responsible and been there? Here's part of the conversation we have with Berkey at 7 o'clock. To me, it all comes down to what gives your team the best chance to win over the course of the whole season, 56 games. And if you think this kid who might scuffle a little bit early, if you think by the 10th game, 15th game, he's going to be a solid regular contributor, that's a different discussion than, you know, like a regular season where you say, well, we can we can nurse him, we can bring him along slowly. I think with the taxi squad, you could spot this guy a little bit if you really want to use him. But the discussion never changes on a team, which is, okay, if we've got realistic playoff hopes, which Vancouver does, um, then we've got to put the lineup on the ice every night that gives us the best chance to get two points. But they're going to have injuries. They're going to have COVID-19 outbreaks, probably. I hope not. Uh, And they're going to be able to work the taxi squad guys in. So I think you're going to see more players play this year than any prior year in terms of the number of players on each team that compete. Uh, it's our first opportunity to catch up with you this year, and uh, over the last four days, uh, another big uh, or significant transaction for the Canucks was the uh, the acquisition of uh, Travis Hamonic, who uh, arrives on a uh, PTO. Uh, I mean, I'm assuming the fact that he's got a quarantine for a week and he'd only be here for two days before the season starts that he'll factor into the roster. But do you like the pickup here with Hamonic and the Canucks? Well, I had him in Calgary, and yeah. a couple things. First off, he's an elite penalty killer. Uh, he's an excellent shot blocker. I mean, I think he would go a, a long way toward filling the void that Chris Tanev's going to leave because I think that is a void. Um, he's a quality, quality guy. He will fight. Um, wonderful teammate. So, yeah, I like to pick up a lot. Brian Burke, a presentation of Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and healing wholesale is proud family owned BC company, helping local business since 1892. Berkey, with that being said, you know how this uh, fan base is, and when you go from day one of free agency to the patience that they don't have to the Travis Hamannick signing to fill the TANF void, possibly Holglander helping where Toffoli was and what they did on the, on the in goal and saving the money on Markstrom, you know, do you look at Jim Benning's offseason work now that it's in the hand of Travis Green and go, hey, you didn't take a step backwards like a lot of people thought maybe he did with the moves that he made? Well, keep in mind, I used this analogy the other day. This is like uh, an Olympic swimming race. 
So you look at yourself and you say, okay, we got better. And I'm swimming my personal best right now. This is the best time I'm ever going to swim in the 100. But the guy beside you is ahead of you, and the guy beside you is ahead of you. The problem is it's not just what you do with your team. It's what the other teams do. These teams are really selfish. They try to get better, and they try to beat you when they play you. And so to me, that's the issue here is not – I don't think they took a step backward, but did other teams around them take a bigger step forward? And so given the salary cap realities that the Canucks face, I'm not sure Jim Benning could have done much better than he did. So if I'm, I'm withholding a grade on the, the offseason for the Canucks because I want to see how they play. But I do not think – I haven't sat there and said, geez, why didn't Jim Benning sign that guy or why didn't he add that guy? Uh, I think bringing in Schultz will help. Um, or Schmidt, Schmidt sorry. Yeah, Schmidt, yeah. <laughs> Schmidt, Nate Schmidt. Um, I, I, I think he did all he could do, and they drafted really well. You all saw Pod Colson. He's going to play right away. I mean, he can't right away, but when his contract is up. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm not sure you could you can really point and say, why didn't the Canucks do this? As when you look at when you look at the Canucks and, and every team across the Canadian division here, you know, I think the one thing that we all kind of agree on, and Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick kind of dove into it on their 31 Thoughts podcast discussing that every team's kind of got, you know, that glaring question or the that – that hole, you know, they're they're all good, but there's all there's holes in each team across the country. What stands out for you for Vancouver? Like, what's your biggest question mark when you look at the Canucks? Well, I think one is how what's the defense going to look like without uh, without Tanev? Um, I really think he's an underappreciated asset. I think he's a really good player. That's number one. But the biggest thing, I, I think, if you pulled a hundred hockey GMs and assistant GMs, they'd say. After the, the the big group, after the top group of guys, where's the scoring going to come from? And if that's the case, can you can can you put that on a rookie? I mean, is that where their hope would be that your rookie jumps into the top six? Hey, it's happened. You know, it's happened. So I mean, it's not. You know, you look at uh, the, the guys that have, like look at Kubalik. He he jumped in and and, and was fantastic. Yeah. So it's happened. It's not. It's not like Jim Benning's going to church and lighting a candle and praying that this might work. It's happened, and this kid's an exceptional hockey player, so it might work. So my, I, I've said this on like three or four shows the last few weeks. We have to wait and see here. Like a lot of seasons, you can say, okay, this is what the Canucks should accomplish. Here's their lineup. Here's what's going to happen. There was no COVID. There were no taxi squads. It's all going to be very different. I think there's going to be a lot more physical play as well. And I'm not sure that the Canucks lineup is, is prepared for that yet, but I think Jim Benning can adjust to that. The easiest thing to fix on your team is the grit level. That's the easiest thing. The skill level is the hardest to fit, to improve. And Jim Benning has put together a really gifted group of top forwards, and you got one of the best young defensemen in the league. I think the goaltending will be okay. Even if Thatcher Demko can't do what he did in the playoffs, if he's 80% of that, that's still pretty good. Yeah, no, I, I think that's cert- I think that certainly works. And I mean, this blue line is probably as deep as it's been. I mean, if Hamannick proves to be, you know, obviously it's been almost a year since he's played, but I think on paper everybody likes the move. But I, I, I just wonder. I mean, that's as deep a blue line I think we've seen in Vancouver in probably close to ten years, Brian. And th- I mean, that's got to be yeah. a significant upgrade here for this team overall. 
Yeah, well, if you add Hamannick in, I think it fills that void. Yeah. Certainly. So, yeah, I think it's a different look with Hamannick in, assuming they're going to sign him, and it sounds like they're going to. And I think fans are going to like him. He plays really hard. As I say, he's an elite penalty killer. He's a great teammate, very religious guy. Um, I think people will like him a lot. You're going to be shocked when I tell you this, that uh, Louis Erickson's been in the conversation here in the last three days. With some speculating that, um, you know, and, and I just thought you're going to need the, you know, the Swiss Army knife. That is Louis Erickson on a taxi squad. But with the borders being as they are, with being assigned to Utica and not being able to be called back right away because of quarantine, that if that was indeed uh, an option that the Canucks considered, it might force the hand on Louis. And maybe Louis even knows that could be the case. Crazy speculation, or do you think there could be a semblance of truth to that? Uh, that I don't know. Uh, to me, look, Louis Erickson's a good hockey player. He's overpaid, and that's never the player's fault. Like, that's what I used to say to the media. If a guy's overpaid, that's my fault. But Canadian fans really hate overpaid players. They turn on overpaid players, uh, very different in the U.S., where they seem to be more accustomed to it. But in Canada, players who are paid a high salary and don't live up to that salary, fans turn on them. So let's focus on Louis Erickson. He can play pretty well anywhere on a hockey team, pretty well anywhere forward position. He can play in any situation on a hockey team. He can kill penalties. He can be on the power play. He's a good hockey player. He's a wonderful young man. He's a great teammate. So he's overpaid. That's not his fault. That's always our fault. That's always management's fault. So to me, I think I read earlier in the week they were talking about playing him on the second line. I think he can play on the second line. And so to me, I don't think Louis Erickson is a headache when Jim Benning goes to bed. The salary's the headache, not the player. And again, that's never the player's fault. Brian Burke. So imagine, yeah. imagine your kid comes home and says, the Canucks are going to give me six years at $6 million. What should I do, Dad? <laughs> what are you you take say? it, well, son. Son, you're not worth that kind of money. You're going to say, get in your car, drive back down to the rink, and sign that contract before they change their mind. <laughs> That's good parenting what advice, right there. Brian Burke weighing in this morning on where the Canucks uh, kind of sit and his view of the team this morning here on Sportsnet 650. It'll be fascinating to see. Uh, you know, the Canucks with the day off today, they'll get one more scrimmage in together, I would think. Uh, speculation is an inter-squad game on Saturday after practice tomorrow. And before you know it, yeah, as IMAX said, man, Wednesday it's for real. And we'll see where it is. We'll see who's sitting in the taxi squad and, and see who goes to Utica for a while because you're not coming right back right away from Utica. But uh, it's been a fascinating three days. Some final thoughts before we turn things over to the Scott Rintoul show coming your way at the top of the clock. But Niels Hoaglander continues to be the story all week long at Canucks camp. And we've got you covered right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Here's Hughes going from right to left. In on goal. Hughes deeks to the forehand and scores a pretty goal from Quinn Hughes. As Braden Holtby had the right pad outstretched but couldn't get it all the way to the post. Hughes tucks it around his skate into the back of the net. This is the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650.
You know, we haven't talked about him really at all this week, but Perry, there was a great tweet from our colleague Sat Shaw, co-host of the program, uh, weekday afternoons from 4 to 7 here on Sportsnet 650 alongside the intolerable uh, Andrew Walker. Just kidding, Walks. Uh, but just reminding everybody that, hey, just for those wondering, the wizardry and the magic of Quinn Hughes hasn't gone anywhere. And, uh, man, just we just kind of assume, but it's uh, the kid's still ready to play here this year. Didn't really use the word sophomore slump for uh, Pedersen last year, right? I don't think we're bringing to what Hughes said. He goes, it's kind of my third training camp, though, right? Yes. He, you know, he's, he's had three cracks with them, so – yeah, and I guess that's part of it. We look at, at Pedersen and Hughes as foundational players for this franchise already because you just go, well, there's no way they're going to go backwards. They're just getting better and stronger and faster and smarter. And that's why if you can add something else to the mix, which we know Pud Colson hopes will be in, and Holglander for what he's done, you're going, you're kidding me. I mean, how often, other than yesterday when Brock Besser talked to you, we haven't talked about the most valuable player of the team last year, right? Or unsung player. We've never talked about J.D. Miller. J.T. Miller was the best player on this team last year, and we didn't talk that much about him. Haven't this year, first week. Uh, you know, just quietly, you know, unassuming. Uh, Patrice Bergeron named captain this morning of the Boston Bruins. No surprise there. I mean, his next stop when his career is done will be uh, the Hockey Hall of Fame, I think, just based on what he has done. And uh, I think that's the right choice for Boston, wouldn't you think? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you, you know, we talk about the excitement that we'll see with Vancouver against Calgary. How fun will it be when Boston takes on Washington? But, uh, yeah, Bergeron's done it all. He could have had that C a long time ago, but why would you have taken it away from Charo? Uh, Another thing that's uh, making the moves on uh, social media right now that I'm sure Scotty Rintel might put a second or two, Deshaun Watson. Yes. And possibly being connected to the San Francisco 49ers. Boy, would that be a fit. Well, you know, you want to try to connect the dots of teams that might be looking for a um, a quarterback. Uh, how about the Patriots? Um, yeah. You know, what does that look like? How about the Steelers potentially? Uh, the Colts, the Raiders, the Broncos, you know, Washington, Philly, uh, the Chicago Bears, you know, Detroit. You, know, you got Saints Mitch Trubisky. Mitch Trubisky has won that job back. <laughs> yeah. Yes, but, you know, the one thing, as good as Chicago has played, or as well as they've played over the last, what, four weeks or so, you know, Trubisky still throws just an awful pick every week. Did it against the Packers last week. Did it against the Jags the week before that. Did it against the Vikes. I, just... Uh, he's pretty much automatic for just you go, oh, man, Mitch is looking really good. And then, ah, yeah, there's Mitch Trubisky. He's still good for that. What do I say that what makes a player in pro sports consistency and Mitch has it in spades for you, T-Ball? You know, hey, you played that audio yesterday. we got to get out of here for Scotty here just in a moment. But you played that audio from J.J. Watt yesterday, you know, to, you know, as they were walking off the field. Apologizing, yeah. Watt, Apologizing, yeah. right? And, that, you know, shame on the Texans for kind of squandering some of these years with, with Deshaun Watson. I mean, this is a hell of a good quarterback. And if you're at a point where you got somebody that young, that talented, and you think about the importance of the quarterback position and a guy who might be willing to want to get out after what's happened, and, you know, you traded, you know, DeAndre Hopkins and to leave maybe Deshaun Watson to say, you know what, I don't want any part of this. I'm ready to get out. Now, they're willing to listen to what he his sort of say in terms of hiring a coach, but 
don't kid yourself, man. This is a volatile situation, and the Texans seem to have become radioactive in a very, very short period of time. He sat there quietly, did what he did. You took away the best player, best receiver in the NFL from him and added something you didn't need. I don't think there'd be a lot of people who are even Texans fans that go, don't blame him, man. We gave him nothing. Let him go elsewhere. Uh, Scotty's coming up in just a matter of moments. Uh, Gord Stelic uh, among the guests, along with the uh, greatest member of the West Coast Express, Brendan Morrison. How about that, Mo? How's that for a tease? We're back at it. Same bat channel, same bat time, right here on your home of the Canucks on Friday morning, right here on Sportsnet 650.